Hello and welcome to Final Games, a podcast about the games that inspired us. I say that every week now, but I must admit it really isn't so much about that anymore. <laughs> the choice of eight has become for, uh, like varied and strange over these past few weeks, and with people coming up, all sorts of reasons to take certain games. But anyway, I'm your host, Liam Edwards, and thank you once again for joining me and my soon-to-be-stranded guest for the 35th episode of the show. Just before we start today, I want to say a huge thanks once again to everyone who listens to the show, shares it, downloads it, tweets it, and all those wonderful things that you do. Uh, the Games Media Awards are this week, and Final Games has been nominated, so it wouldn't have happened if it weren't for you incredible listeners of the show, so once again, thank you so much. Do remember that if you do enjoy the show, you can follow it on SoundCloud, and also you can subscribe on iTunes. Uh, you can also review and rate it. And I really wish you would. Uh, it's been a while since the last review on iTunes, uh, and they really do help for some reason, all that, those social media metric type things. Um, so, you know, this announcement as well is also for anyone who uh, uses Stitcher. Uh, the podcast is now available on Stitcher as well, after some requests from some people who were like, why is it not on Stitcher? Well, it is now, so you can go there as well. Now the announcements are out of the way, let's begin the show. So, my guest this week is a writer who's well-versed in everything from game to film. He's worked as a writer for over six years and interviewed some of the most incredible people in film and games as well. People such as Brian Cranston, Ben Affleck, Chris Pratt, and Joss Whedon. Wow, what a list. Just to name a few, he's also worked on film sets as well. God, he's done everything. He knows a fair bit about games as well, and if you see him writing regular reviews, it's probably over on his home base, BleedingCool.net. My guest this week is an all-round lovely chap, Bleeding Cool's managing editor, Mr. Patrick Dane. Hello, Patrick. Hey, Liam. How's it going? I'm okay, thank you. Um, I was do, do, to... I, do I go now? Because like, I just came for like the lovely intro. Um, so oh, I'm going to head off now. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, well... No, no, I'll, I'll stick. I'll stick around. You know what's happening here. You're about to be banished. You're about oh. to be banished, so you have to stay. Unfortunately, then the, that's the terms and conditions of this podcast. <laughs> um, yes, I'm okay. I'm good. Uh, we were meant to have a typhoon come to our area of Japan today, um, mm. but luckily it seemed to have changed its course. So luckily, there's no loud, windy noises outside, which would definitely ruin podcasts. But how about yourself, sir? How are you doing in wonderful, uh, very foreign-hating Britain? It would seem <laughs> this week. Yeah, uh, it's uh, it's interesting. I'll t- I'll give it that. Um, no, I mean <laughs> things are. Putting putting all that aside, because that's depressing, and there's no fun. There's no fun to be had in that conversation. <laughs> no, there um, is not. There's yeah. It's things are all right. Well, busy. Every, every always busy. Every day. Every day. Every day. Well, it's getting to the the exciting season for video games. As always, the October sure November area. I imagine you're extremely busy with some upcoming stuff. Mafia Three, Final Fantasy Fifteen, just to name two. Yeah, well, I mean, like, actually, at the moment, I've not got anything properly in for review, but there's supposedly some coming in the next few days, and then, obviously, um, I'm still looking after the film side now as well, so I've got screen- a couple screenings coming up, and, oh, it's it's all, it's it's very interesting being <laughs> uh, the head film and game writer for a See, major that- website. That does sound like way too much work. I, I see a lot, a lot of my friends who write games, uh, media stuff, write reviews and stuff, always complaining about how busy they are. Now imagine putting film on top of that. 
how yeah. do you sort of balance that? That sounds like a nightmare. Um, so there are like parameters within my job. Like I only take on so much every day. Um, but because I'm a masochist, uh, <laughs> I like, especially, especially when it comes to games, I like to have played everything that, you know, needs to, needs to be played before a year is up. So I know I feel I feel that I definitely understand that because I'm uh, also like, very similar to that. Yeah, and like uh, at Bleeding Cool, um, I've always been in charge of our game of the year thing because we don't really have any other game writers on the website, so it's kind of just me going through. And I always try and like a list of like five nominated games, and then like a winner is fine. But I like to instead like I kind of look at it like if I wanted. If I was in 10 years, 15, 20 years, somebody could come back and read one of my articles and then there's 30 games on there, like the best of the year. So it's not like, so you're not forgetting like little gems that had good things in them, right? So like I always try and have like lists of 30 or so games that are great and then I do like pick a top five or whatever. But so I I, I do put a lot on it on me to like actually get everything played. And like I said, (laughs) now I've been kind of brought back into the film fold. That's a... Yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> it's uh, never never talking about the same thing. I can imagine that's quite good, like a sort of variety. I imagine some people can kind of get bogged down in games and sort of that negative impact of maybe having a review that people don't like or, um, sure. you know, games media comes with its own ups and downs. Everyone sort of knows that. <laughs> um, so maybe talking about films, is it less intense, maybe? Is it a little bit more chilled out, or is it just the same as video games? No, and everyone it's not. on the internet it's... is the same. Actually, actually, I, I prefer is maybe. No, I'm going to say prefer. I prefer writing about games, um, and I prefer the industry um, personally because it's a lot. It's a lot closer, closer knit, and um, more positive in a way. Like things in film can get a bit. I don't know, the culture, especially around the press, can be, like, hyper-competitive, whereas in games, you know, everyone's kind of, like, we're we're obviously competitive, but, like, everyone kind of knows each other, and we're more or less all on good terms, for the most part. Um, Yeah. So, like, there is a more of a, at least for me anyways, this might not be true of everybody, but for me, like, there is more of a, like, community within the press, and, like, it feels like I have, you know, comrades on the field, as it were, (laughs) doing games press, whereas, like... Film press, it can be very like you're. It's everybody's fighting for themselves, like doggy dog type thing. So, okay, um, it's it's it's, it's it, like and that that's fine. Like hyper competitiveness is fun. And it pushes you right, but um, it <laughs> there's a lot there's a lot of a uh, lot to it if you know what I mean. Yeah. Well, speaking of film, I just want to sort of diverge from video games for a minute. I watched the first episode of Westworld last night. Oh yeah. I thought I, I I thought I knew what you were about to say, and it wasn't what, what you thought. <laughs> <laughs> what, did, what did you think I was going to say? Um, I thought you were going to say something about Batman v Superman, Liam. Um, no, you see, well, that, that's another time. <laughs> if, we if, you have if you haven't, I don't know how you feel about Batman v Superman, but oh, if you I, haven't, I love not, it. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say if you if you sort of maybe have a certain opinion about it, you uh, Patrick has done an incredible video. Uh, about it that you can watch on his YouTube channel. It's really good. I waited. I hadn't actually seen Batman vs. Superman until recently. So I held off and then I went and watched it. I personally have a lot of problems with the film. 
Patrick, yeah, you does. feel I know. a little different about that one. Yeah, but I think we'll kind of see in like the games I've chosen. Like, I don't quite <laughs> know how this happened, but like, I seem to just like weird things that like, I don't know, just the way it kind of goes with me. Like, I used to be like proper conformist. I was like, oh, everybody, like everything that's good on Rotten Tomatoes is good. I don't know. Maybe it's just like you stay in an industry so long, like you just like your cha- taste change in weird ways, and you like it's weird. So like. The Batman v Superman thing is funny because it, it is kind of like a joke that's used against me, but I do genuinely think that that movie's great and whatever. Um, but I mean, I will admit, <laughs> I will admit, I didn't think it was anywhere near as bad as I expected. Sure, sure. I don't think it reaches good. Like I don't. I, I just think it's and, mediocre. I, just I mean, think it's it, it is kind of the joke, like "Ha ha, Patrick Day, Batman v Superman." But like, and I'm not. The thing is, is that I don't think it's like an amazing movie. I think it's like a solid day out of ten. But. Um, I don't that's, know, that's a good rating. I don't. <laughs> you say I don't think it's like a, like a solid good movie, but you, an eight out of ten. I, is no, a I say I don't think rating. it's amazing. I think it's a pretty good movie, though. <laughs> that's fair enough. That's fair enough. I think it's pretty mediocre. I didn't. Ex- I don't think it's as bad as I expected. Yeah, but sure. th- that's a conversation for another time. Sure um, Westworld, on the other hand, just before we diverge, because I need to talk to someone about this. Sure. Um, if you haven't watched it, HBO's brand new pilot, Westworld, is out now. Uh, I think it's on Sky Atlantic in the UK, um, and then HBO, obviously, in America. Yeah. Actually, um, they just announced today, especially in America, that they, the first episode is just free. You can go watch it. Excellent. That's really good. And if you haven't seen it, go watch it. Go watch it. It's really good. I won't spoil anything or say anything about it. Just go watch it. I thought it was absolutely superb. I wrote a thing about it on BeautyCool.com. Just go check it out. He did do that. <laughs> so he also did that. Now... Back to video games. Mm-hmm. Patrick, you are here to talk about video games, but let's talk a little bit about how you sort of got started writing about video games. Because I know yeah. for a long time you're a big film guy and you obviously still are. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you sort of end up then? I, I, I know you personally, majorly <laughs> through, about talking about video games. So how did yeah. you sort of come to writing about video games? Was it out of choice were you like hey i can do both these things at the same time or is it like Um, hey we need a guy you seem like you can do this so i came out of uni um where i'd basically basically been on a film course um and then kind of by accident i fell into film for like a couple months at bleeding cool um really got thrown into the deep end with like interviews with people and this and that um and then it honestly it kind of came down to money a little bit, but like at the same time, it was a field I was looking to get into. So I then moved to What Culture, which was my first paid gig, um, and that was that was entirely game focused. Um, so that's kind of how I jumped in that way. But uh, and I just kind of stuck there. Like like I said, there's it's there's something about this industry that I really adore, and like it, I really despise when people. No, I, despises maybe a strong word but i lament when people act like the film industry is more artistically capable than games are right like and i stayed in games oh one again because of it was just like it's it's surprising enough because it's not easy to get paid but it is easier in my in my experience at that time than when i was coming through that to get paid for games uh yeah but at the same time like i wouldn't have stayed here for five years if i didn't like absolutely adore it um and i think it's i think it's uh absolutely fascinating medium um and it'll always have a very special place in my heart and uh you know 
like I said, I, I don't like it, when, as, especially as a guy on both sides of the fence. It's just like, even some game journalists act like this, like there's a, like film film is a higher level of criticism. You know? And it's not, it's not. Games are great. And I stayed here because I loved it. Um, even though there was obviously the, that initial incentive of getting there just to get a little bit of money. But, you know, it's just, it's just I don't know. It, it's complicated. And like, obviously, like I'm both sides of the fence. And it's a very interesting place to be. Um, but yeah, don't, don't badmouth games, guys. The games are, games are pretty good, you know? I don't, th- this is why this podcast exists. Gaming, mm-hmm. games are fun. And, you know, we're all in some way inspired or, we cherish video games in certain ways and obviously to the extent that some people become incredibly defensive about them and yeah. don't want yeah, the sure. way they are to change, which is another sort of discussion for debate. But, you know, <laughs> video games are meant to be fun. They are for us they to are. enjoy. Yeah, I mean, and that's why yeah. we are here talking about them. That, that is why we're here. And that's why you do for a living as long as with the film. So in regards to sort of the the current climate of writing about video games then how has it sort of changed from when you sort of started was it around like 2012 i think yeah so do that so yeah sorry basically 2012 um and then uh the end of 2012 yeah so so around that time um it's uh i mean the industry's in a weird place now because people uh obviously it's sort of downsizing i don't i don't think it's like doom and gloom as some people say it is but obviously traditional press in games and stuff is um shifting at least uh whereas youtube and twitch and all that is coming up um and like that has felt sort of prominent but at the same time like it's it's really weird that 2012 was so long ago because like it doesn't feel like it really like that kind of stuff was certainly coming in um you know your jim sterlings were already doing their jim quisitions um and honestly like that's kind of been the most interesting thing that's happened in the last few years is seeing traditional press people go into uh that other field that youtube field like you know you like you get your jim sterlings and you get uh you know kind of funny what off what they're doing like that kind of shift away from how we used quote-unquote supposed to do things and then people going out and forging their own destinies in these new in these new like platforms that's that like that's kind of like the most exciting thing that's happening like it, but especially between as long as i've been working in it um that doesn't mean like i said i think that like the doom and gloom that can surround the press is a little bit overdone sometimes but yeah at the same time it's it's undeniable to say that things are changing um you know but I think it's exciting. It's good, um, and I like see I like seeing people. You know, obviously Danny O'Dwyer's obviously gone out now, and he's doing his own thing. And he is like like that that diversifying of content that we're getting is really exciting. I we think. do uh, have a distinct lack of what Danny is trying to do. I think like documentary. Yeah, totally. there, there isn't. There is a distinct lack of like documentation of studios and uh, them creating games we've obviously had some high budget productions from some major sites in the past obviously danny at gamespot did a series of stuff we've had ign in the past uh you know but we have a, a distinct lack of journalism on the other side where yeah people are taking a look inside the people who actually make video games and making video games is really hard and difficult so um it's fascinating how they get created and stuff like that and hopefully what danny's gonna do danny's just fantastic that guy's such a Mm -hmm. cool guy um so 
the stuff he's going to do, I think, is going to be really exciting. And actually, I yeah. think it's probably going to get a lot more people into making video games, I think. I, I mean, like, one of the things, one of, like, if we are going to talk about, like, the key differences between film and games, like, one of the things is that I, you, I you can tell you the director of a movie. I couldn't tell you who directed Assassin's Creed, right? I couldn't tell you who was the lead level designer on Assassin's Creed Unity or anything. Just because the focus isn't usually on the creative process for, you know, the way that we talk about games generally. We usually talk about them as finished products. Whereas in films, like, you know, DVD extras and stuff, like, it's just documentaries and documentaries about yeah. how this thing is made. Whereas, like, in games, that story's not really told enough. So that's why I think that what um, Danny's doing is incredibly valuable. Um, yeah. Because... Especially in AAA games, like I want to see um, these stories told, and I want I want these creators to kind of come out and like be recognized as artists and not just people like coding for you know money or whatever. Like, you know, we have the sort of we have the Cliffy Bees, we have the Hideo Kojimas, we have they certainly exist. Some people they do exist, and but it's like you know you can count them like on at least yeah. both of your hands, like yeah. the amount of people. But that surprisingly, are the people who are sort of maybe semi-famous are the indie creators who are yep. essentially a one-man team who have to market themselves because marketing a game is hard. So marketing sure yourself is. and then your game becoming popular because of that is almost like a weird after effect of what's yep. happened. And, and now we have all these really high-budget AAA titles that are like big blockbuster films uh, where, you know, it's just faceless people who work on these, whereas you have and, like the one guy in his bedroom... Um, working on an indie title for, you know, four years comes out and it's like huge success and that guy's like super famous and it's it's all a bit weird. Topsy turvy yeah. almost in the video game. And industry. in one in one of the in like in definitely like one of the weirdest things about the games industry is that the press is usually more quote unquote famous than the people who create games. Yes, your, that is your, true. Your, Pewdie- your PewDiePies and like, you know, your Greg Millers and stuff like they have more followers than, you know, like probably even some of the biggest game creators and stuff. Like it's pretty, it's pretty wild. Like that kind of weird inverse, and that the the conversation is the focus, right? As yeah. opposed to like the the actual craft. Um, and like that's not that's not like good or bad. I don't think it's just like an interesting difference that you have that hasn't really been seen in art so much. Um, so yeah, I mean, like games are weird and interesting and all that kind of good, <laughs> all that kind of goodness. It's very strange, but. Uh, who knows? Maybe with Danny creating some documentation type stuff, we'll see a small change in that. But I, I imagine we'll see a rise in other people maybe doing some sort of similar stuff, especially if the uh, viewership is there with pretty much anything in the world. But yeah, <laughs> so we are here to talk about video games and why they're sure. wonderful. And we're also here to talk about the weird choices that you've chosen. Um, <laughs> some of them are weird. Some of them, I think, are, uh, are understandable. Understandable. Um Thank you. <laughs> so why don't we <laughs> jump straight into it and listen to some music from the first game and talk about your final games, Patrick? Let's do it. Can never stop that one. It's got the juicy taste of put a smile on your face. The dog burger king or any 
Patrick, the first game that you're going to be taking with you to the deserted place of your choosing a little later is a PlayStation 1 title that was developed <laughs> by a developer called Metro Graphics. Um, and it was bought to the US by the now defunct 989 Studios and Sony Computer Entertainment. Um, it sort of was published in Japan by Square Enix, but I, it was the Enix side, not the square side the more famous yep. side of the duo uh it's like a music fighting game and i think anyone will know the title of the, the game but i'm not sure too many people will have actually played it um it's it was released in uh 1998 across the world at uh, various months it's the hybrid music fighting video game buster groove yeah, patrick buster groove why are you oh. taking buster groove um so i mean the reason why i would take it is not so much that I think it's the best game ever made, but that certainly <laughs> was a game that sticks in my mind. Like, I'm not, I'm not a big guy on nostalgia, uh, which probably the rest of my list will probably show. Like, a lot of my things aren't that old. Um, but there is something about that game that does bring back memories about, you know, uh, especially playing it with my sisters and stuff, um, and, you know, sharing games in a family space like that. Yeah. Um, especially, especially with two family members who, you know, only like kind of sort of played with video games like that. That's always like a nice feeling when you can bring something and bring people from the, uh, you know, outside or people who don't enjoy games as much and play something with them that they really enjoy. Um, so there is like a, a snapshot of it. Like, you know, just like, you know, like that meme where Wolverine sit, Wolverine sitting in the bed and he has a photo and, you know, he's just got his hand on it. Like there is something longingly about it. Like, if I was on a desert island, I could look at that. I could be like, oh, yeah, that's how I felt when I was that young kid. Having said all that, I also think the game is, like, well good. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, obviously, it's it's called Buster Groove over in the West. Um, it was actually supposed to be called Buster Move. Um, but, weirdly, Puzzle Bobble took that name um, in the West. And yeah, they so have they had to change incredibly the name to similar Groove. titles. I think yeah. a lot of people might get confused about that. Yeah, so this isn't a puzzle game. Um, this isn't this isn't like weird Peggle. Um, this is <laughs> there's something in. I have a very soft spot in my heart for rhythm games, and I don't know exactly what it is because um, I've never really played music that well. Like I've I've sung in a few bands here and there, like way way back in the day. Um, but, and, like, I listen to music, obviously, like, soundtracks are a big uh, part of my life, and, like, I own a lot of soundtracks on vinyl and stuff, but in terms of, like, traditional music, it's not, I don't listen to that much, or, like, at least not as much as I would have ten years ago. Um, so, rhythm games are weird for me, because they're one of the few times, or not few, but they're one of the times where I do interact with, you know, quote-unquote traditional music. Um, and there's something about the interactivity of that that's really, I don't know, tangible about it. And, like, I think Buster Group kind of really nails that. Um, obviously, with, like, your guitar heroes and stuff, like, you're playing, like, you know, the classics, or, you know, you're playing new music. But Buster Groove kind of knocks it out of the park because it has a stellar soundtrack, um, which is very important for <laughs> Rhythm Game, obviously. Um, it's And, again, it, it is this time capsule of, 1998 like mtv presentation like it's got weird disco funk it's got like trance it's got j-pop it's it's such a bizarre game um and especially <laughs> when you 
bring in, like, the fighting game aspect. Because I'm also not a huge fighting game fan. So, like, this game is, it's, like, kind of weird that, like, I have such a fondness for it. But, like, so, I don't know, how how to describe how you play Buster Groove. Um, so, it's sort of like Parappa the Rapper, where it's, like, you're hitting things on the beat. But you're hitting button combinations on the beat as well. So, you before you hit the but like the X that you need to press on the B, you have to press up, down, left, right, and then press X, and then you're on to the next one. And you kind of just trying to build these combos like that. Um, and it's such a bizarre little game. But and you know, I, I, there's other games I like in the music genre that are like this, like Space Channel Five. I have also have like the same kind of like fondness for. But yeah, very similar. I was gonna say because. Yeah. Buster Groove, I, I played a little bit of Buster Groove, but what I really got into and what I think is very similar to Buster Groove, uh, and I I absolutely adore this uh, series, is Guitar Man. Have you ever played Guitar Man? I've on not, play- no. Well, there's a, there was a Guitar Man on PlayStation 2 and on the PSP, and essentially it's like a, sort of that hybrid rhythm fighting game, but you're like a robot boy who plays guitar. And he, like, fires lasers out of his guitar and stuff. Um, Very, very similar. Very, very similar to Buster Groove. Yeah, I mean, for all intents and purposes, like, it is a fighting game. Like, it's, you're choosing a character, and two people are going up against each other, and you're trying to dance better than the other person. But there's also these, like, attack moves that you can do to break other people's combos and stuff. And, um, And like I said, it's just that there's something about that soundtrack that is kind of magical to me like there's a mythical element to me to me like like i say i'm not really huge on nostalgia and i'm not i don't usually go back and like i don't know watch films from when i was young like but there is something about that music that does transport me in a way that few other like pieces of media do um and it's just those songs are so catchy and so ear like do they stick with they stick with me anyways um you know i could bring up like kitty n's theme or robo z's uh, theme or capoeiras like it's just like there's something about that game that is in the identity of those characters and the feel and texture of it that just really resonate with me in a way that games that it's based on maybe don't so i, I don't know it's such a weird game <laughs> i really love it liam <laughs> i hope that's coming across <laughs> it's definitely coming across whenever someone has no words in their mouth to explain why exactly they like a game usually that's a sign that anyone who's listened to me and some guests previously talk about games like mario galaxy where we've just rambled on for 20 minutes literally saying nothing but we love this game we can't explain why but we love this game it's very very similar like i say it's got a very like quantifiably saying what i like about it the music is amazing i think the um fighting game aspects of it are very clever in the way that they're implemented um, I think the the art direction's very, very uh, quite striking as well, and like I think it still kind of holds up nowadays. Um, and like there's just like a a zip to the way that you play it. Like there's a pace to the way you play because the songs aren't super long. Um, so if you're playing arcade, you like just kind of rushing through all these like amazing backdrops and characters and songs, and then like you know you could be done in like. 35 minutes. Uh, and, like, there's something pure and lovely about that. Like, kind of like Star Fox 64. Like, you can sit down and beat that game in, like, 40 minutes. And there's something about that that in the late 90s kind of came about that 
is nice. There's something arcadey about that. Like, there's a I'm just rhythm sit down. To it. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to exactly sit down and experience do. this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I understand that. And the the, the sort of Light Up Wars, Star Fox 64 um, analogy really hit me because I've played through that game countless times, and there is yeah. definitely a rhythm to it. Like. You hit area, you hit the next player, then you have the choice, where do you go next? And you just have like a rhythm and you know that in 40 minutes time, you're going to be done and then you're going to put it away and you'll be like, that was a good experience. Uh, yeah. Just going through it, blasting through it. So do you have like a favorite track from Buster Groove? I mean, Robo Z and Kitty Ends are pretty, are pretty, are pretty strong, but so is uh, Heroes, um, his uh, disco tune, as it were. Like, And like one of the interesting things about it is like there is a lot of, variety in like what songs are there there's like your pop songs your like weird fucking robo tech uh dance moves and like just j- uh, the, it's so good liam <laughs> like the 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 absolute breadth of variety that the songs actually go through um, yeah like you feel like you're going I don't know, like, in a weird way, you do, there does feel like there is an arc to that experience that when you are sitting down and playing it for, like, you know, that, that quick run through to beat the game, like, there is an arc in the songs that you're playing that it's not, it's not, you know, you're not just on one plane where it's like, oh, it's all kind of just J-pop, but like, with different meters, right? Like, there is a, it changes in important ways that keep it compelling, um, at least for that short amount of time. Uh, and yeah, the, there's, it's such a weird game as well. Like, there's loads of weird factoids about it. Like, there was a third, there was a third game that never came out in, um, in, uh, the West, sorry, in the West. And then the second one I don't think came out in Europe. And then there's like other weird factoids. Like, <laughs> I don't know how, how to best explain this one. Um, they had to re, redo some of the music for a Western audience because, it's one of the few games that uses the N word, <laughs> and like uh, it's okay. very weird. <laughs> like, <laughs> like there's just like weird stuff like about that. That like obviously that's like totally weird and misguided, and like like even bad. Like in the late nineties, like that definitely should never have happened. But obviously that was called for the American version. Yeah, of it. But there are just these like weird stories about it that kind of add to like well, it, it, the production it, of it. If you know what I mean. Well, it comes from this weird era of for some reason all of these weird japanese musical rhythm games that came out for like the playstation and uh like consoles of that time you know crap yeah. the rapper uh buster groove uh space channel 5 uh guitar man just there's so many of them they're all these strange yeah. musical rhythm I mean, games i don't know what it is about of... japan and rhythm games because yeah. if you come here now and you go to an arcade like that's all there is like it's Dance Dance games. Revolution, and well, it's, what it's was, not even that. But, Dance Dance Revolution is like in the corner. You, it's like it's uh, <laughs> games like My My, uh, Juby, um, like all these incredibly difficult I mean, games. <laughs> and it wasn't it wasn't even that long until like the West kind of did their version of it, which you know was your Guitar Heroes, your DJ Heroes. Yeah, um, which it seemed a little more normal. It, it felt like normal <laughs> music. Sure, like, and like guitar, you you've know, got a guitar. Play the buttons like you're playing a guitar. It's like we have to oversimplify everything mm-hmm. <laughs> as as an audience in the West. Whereas in Japan, it's just like, hey, fuck it, let's <laughs> let's have like this rapping dog, you know, whatever, just do it. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, like, 
I think this is actually the only Japanese game on my list. Um, but I feel like I feel like I picked a game that really does represent that. Ja- <laughs> it's a very Japanese game. Um, so it it is interesting because, like, especially for me, like, and just kind of like the years I've been active in gaming, like. Uh, Japan was never like a huge part. Uh, the Japanese development side was never a huge part of my side. Like, obviously, I played a lot of the Nintendo. I obviously Super Mario World, which doesn't make my list, but is obviously an amazing game. And like, if I was doing like best games ever. It might be there, but just not what I'm bringing to my island. Go away, Super Mario World. Um, but like, <laughs> there's something like there is. There are these little gems that I get in my you know back catalog of games that I love that do come from Japan. Um, you know and. They're usually like the very bizarre ones, and I think this is up there with one of those. Um, and I would I wouldn't have it any other way, you know. I can totally understand. I've recently been on a kick of collecting strange Game Boy Advance Japanese titles for really cheap. Yeah. So just going into like my local Japanese store and just picking up whatever the hell Game Boy Advance <laughs> game they have, no matter what it looks like. Man, I found some weird stuff. Weird yeah. stuff. Um, yeah, but it's great. <laughs> just yeah. it's, it's super creative, and just th- these guys just doing whatever the hell they want. And it was at a time where we now live in a gaming landscape where, unless you're going to do it at home by yourself, um, you're never going to be able to make big budget creative projects like this anymore. Yeah, you know, it's it's just not financially viable, or it's just not a way to make games anymore. Making games is, is almost sort of formulaic. A little bit yeah. now, a bit more formulaic now than it there's, ever was. There is one asterisk I should probably put to uh, this game, and that's that I might not be able to play it <laughs> on an island. Why is that? Because it doesn't. You can't correct the beat to your screen in the game, and it's built for CRTVs. So it's we'll provide incre- you with a CRT. It's, Don't okay, worry. Cool. Uh, if I have, we'll that, provide I you. But like yeah. nowadays, it's so hard to actually play this game nowadays because it's super out of sync with like how <laughs> our refresh rates with is screens it... now, which does also kind of add to that like weird mysticism. It's like you can't really play it as it was intended unless you was there like to get a was there ever like a PSP PlayStation One classics for the PS Vita release of it? Do I don't know? think so. I th- I do think I read that it did release on PS3, so maybe they figured something out. Um, but maybe. I don't know, <laughs> but <laughs> wow. like the, the, if you do try and like you know if you shock or did try and emulate it, or if you just bought it like because I bought a copy of it for um, not long ago, and, but it's so hard to play just because of how modern screens work compared to how they do then because you can't <laughs> you can't exactly write your beat. It's just, just so, so much input lag. And... Yeah, exactly. Wow. I think we can safely say that Mister Mister Patrick Dane loves Buster Groove. I think that. <laughs> Came across quite clearly. It's a good game. <laughs> so I think we should move on to the next game now, which is a little more... It's it's getting on now. It's almost 10 years old, uh, the next game. Um, but it is of the PlayStation 3, Xbox 360 era. So we wouldn't call it classic just yet. Hold your horses. This is not the era to call that classic yet. Although there are some people out there now who 10 years ago were maybe like 7... Or six years old who are like, whoa, old PlayStation 3 games, whoa, what classics? And that makes me feel (laughs) old. So let's listen to some music from this next game and let's dive straight into it.
So just before we move on to the next game, Patrick, we have to yeah. talk about where you're going to be, where you're going to be playing these games, where are you being banished to, and obviously we allow you the choice of place, but it has to be a virtual world from gaming. Mm-hmm. Um, there will be no NPCs or human-like NPCs to for you to <laughs> okay. interact with or potentially could help you. Uh, we know that, you know, Gaming AI is now advancing far enough. I imagine you could do something to help yourself out of this place. Um, so we can't allow that. Um, but All if right. it is a place that has like monsters, for example, or enemies, they will be there. Because, okay. Uh, you know, don't want to make it too easy. So it's no. up to you to decide where you're going to be. Is there a place that springs to mind? Yeah, there's two. One of them, especially with no NPCs, I think would be disastrously lonely though <laughs> that's um the citadel on mass effect which is obviously like a huge a huge thing um so like even just like the playable spaces in that like i think that would feel incredibly lonely well that <laughs> would be no- lonely for nothing another... populating it obviously because you're obviously going to be alone pretty much wherever you go anyway but that yeah, feels true. almost even more lonely because you're looking you out see, into yeah. the depth of space <laughs> yeah totally um there is and this will probably come up later. Um, I really love the tower in Destiny. Um, so that's your social hub where you, you go in and you come in. And there is a... There's something about that space that I really I really love. And I won't go into why too much now. Because um, I, maybe it'll turn up later. Spoilers, <laughs> <laughs> um, Destiny is on this list. <laughs> um, there, is, there is absolutely something about hanging around that place. That's very cool. And, like, as long as, like, the Traveler is still there, just, like, hovering over a decre- uh, decrepit city, like, yeah, I could just sit in that place the entire time. As And as long as there's, like, a bit of that soundtrack just kind of, like, ruminating through it as well, that would also be good. But <laughs> so, yeah, I'm going to go to the Tower, I okay, guess. Okay, so the I Tower. I think that's, that's the first one that comes to mind. That's the first that comes to mind. It's pretty cool. It's, like, super high up as well, so you can look out across yeah. the barren lands. And... Yeah, there's something, like... Last Guardian about it, you know, like just like yeah. not, the, not the video game, but like being because... a Last Guardian. But <laughs> sat on the top of the cliffs, penning your memoir titled "Yeah, exactly." I love Buster Groove by Patrick Dane. Uh, <laughs> so, Patrick, the first, well, the second game you're actually going to be playing uh, yeah. in the tower is this next game that was developed by Starbreeze Studios and published by Two K Games. Um, it released for the Xbox 360 and PlayStation Three uh, back in 2007. Um, so God, 2007, almost 10 years ago, this game came out and still, still looks pretty, pretty good graphically. Now I remember when I first saw this game, I was blown away by how good it looked and the mechanics of the game are incredibly interesting. It's a first person shooter with a twist. It's the darkness. Patrick, why are you taking the darkness with you to the tower? The darkness is... A very important game to me, anyways. Um, it definitely came at a time for me when I was like 16 um, or 15, 16, somewhere around that range. Um, and I was in my like proper, like, oh, Spawn is really cool. Like, Venom's the coolest character that's ever been created. Like, that, that kind of like nerd, edgy darkness era. Um, <laughs> Edge Lord, <but, laughs> how? <laughs> yeah. No, I was always a very good boy. I just thought Spawn was really cool for a little while. Um, <laughs> but, uh, 
there's something about the darkness that is still incredibly resonant with me now. Um, like, even moving past that, like, obviously I've kind of grown out of that a little bit, but, like, there's something about the darkness that stays with me. Um, and there's, I think it's just about how, like, kind of bizarre and underrated and, like, cleverly put together it is. Um, it's certainly not, like, a perfect game. Um, and I think if you explained it to people now, like, if you at least explain the premise, it doesn't sound very deep. Like, it's just like, you're a mafioso, and you get possessed by a demon, and you spend your time with two massive snakes coming out of your shoulders, and you just kill a bunch of people. And, like, that, like, if you just explain it like that, that's kind of, it definitely sounds like a 2007, like, Xbox 360 game. Um, like, that, it's completely unremarkable, but there's a lot of heart to it, like, it's, Starbreeze, who, you know, at least I know a lot of the developers went on to do, um, Wolfenstein, um, the new, the new order, um, which kind of has the same thing, which is like, everyone, everyone was kind of like, ugh, a new Wolfenstein when that thing was coming out, and then it came out, and everyone was like, actually, this has, there's like, there is definitely something to this, like, they care about the storytelling of this. Um, and the darkness is kind of like, you see that, like, coming way, way before that, when you know the same day before, a lot of the similar developers came from over there. Because um, the story of Jackie, um, it's very sad, actually. Um, you know, obviously it's grim, it's dark. It's pretty tragic. Nonsense, but it's, <laughs> it's pretty like, grim. And, like, the real thing that makes that game stand out is, like, the details of little things that you can do. Like, it's, it's like, the weird one of the weirdest factoids in gaming, but the fact that there is a section where you come in and your girlfriend, Jenny, has thrown, like, a little surprise birthday just between you two with a little cake, and then you just sit down on the sofa, and you can watch the entirety of To Kill a Mockingbird just sitting on the sofa with your girlfriend, um, and, you know, you could just sit there for two hours, and, you know, you're just sitting there, and, like, that's weird, but, like, it's really brilliant in terms of, like, actually making you care about these characters in a way that feels like like acting like humans would. It's not just, hey, I'm a mafioso. Oh, I'm coming home to see my girlfriend. Oh, she's great. Oh, now I'm going to leave. Like, there is, like... there's That game breathes with its characters um, in a way that games, especially at that time, just weren't doing. Um, and then also, it's obviously really, really cool to tear people apart with snakes and stuff. Um, <laughs> so, like, there is, like... <laughs> there is this interesting way that this game kind of breaks down, which is, like... Yes, it's awesome and weird and like grim dark and Xbox 360 like early Xbox 360 times like that is all there. But what kind of really makes that game stand out for me are these quieter moments, these personal interactions, and like I don't know how how far should I go with spoiling the game because there is a very important moment in that game um, <laughs> that's hard not to like talk about too much. But there's a moment in that game where it absolutely plays into some, like, I don't know, not nasty tropes, but lazy, lazy tropes about male characters and stuff. But um, because of the groundwork that was done with the two characters that this affects, that moment feels incredibly powerful. Like, it actually feels like a moment of loss when said thing happens. Um, and then you get into, like, the other weird stuff. Like, I kind of, he says it, like, first time. Uh, it's like one of his first lines of the game is that he does die during the game. 
Um, and like the version of hell that they bring you to is so is like bizarre. It's you're in you just are transported to a World War One setting with demons and like people and like it's not just like you're going around shooting loads of demons in World War One. It's like again, it, there's a lot of space to where it breathes and you just like walk around these camps of people who have lost their eyesights and just like have lost their legs and they're just screaming at you to like help them and like it's a very disconcerting game um and it's just i really love a game that can take an established formula and find a heart in it that other developers might not have um to really kind of excel it into a worthwhile story um and I think that's one of the things that the darkness does best. And I'll always have a very, very soft space in my heart for it. And like, I think the sequel's cool in a way, but I do think that it did kind of lose some of that, those quieter moments of reflection um, that did, where that were the glue for me for that game, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Well, it's weird because the darkness was, I don't know, when it, I remember when it was being shown, it was all about the mechanics. Because it was yeah. incredibly impressive. The, yeah, it's the, really, the it's really cool. amazing. It was incredible. So at the time, everyone was hyping up about what the game mechanics were like and uh, how great that was going to be. But then it came out and it had this story and it wasn't shooed in into a first-person nope. shooter. It wasn't even it was, yeah. hammy. It, I wouldn't even call it hammy. I think no. it, suited, it's very sensible in how it does things there are some strange things and the way jackie dies is very interesting um and as you said when you go to the overworld which is the sort of hell it is it's super weird it's like i thought Mm. at the time that i'd been i traveled back in time yeah it's it's very it's very like it's weirdly abstract like for a game like that which you know should be by the numbers blah 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 but there is there again it's just like there is this weird edge to that game that really makes it special um and like that absolutely comes through in those hell sections right like yeah it's just like weird decisions but like that are kind of oddly brilliant as well i haven't played it in so long (laughs) yeah i can imagine (laughs) to be honest i probably haven't played it in like a long long time either but like and like, but I've seen like I've watched rewatched footage and stuff, and like I'm still like, yeah, this game looks rad. Like I'm not like, oh, it's of its time. I do no, think it that, looks... that game. I think that game still looks great, and I think it still has things to inform game design now. I always felt that. I always felt that the title held it back. Mm. Like the darkness is such a terrible generic. <laughs> title well obviously like obviously it's based off the the comics the darkness yeah um, and although the comic you know you could have like the, a, a title and it could be like a darkness story or something just i always yeah, thought the totally. darkness was like when i look at when i think of the box art with like jackie with the he's got like two guns crossed and he looks yeah. like some sort of heavy metal singer and then these two demon snakes and it's like oh <laughs> it looks like a generic metal album with yeah. the darkness across it. And I felt like that always held it back a little from being totally. as good as I, th- as I think it is. Cause it is it, such a good game. It certainly like leaves an impression of you um, that I don't think is the best things about that game. 
Um, I do think that that stuff is really cool. Like, I wouldn't say if just like, oh, you can watch a movie with your girlfriend for a long time if the rest of the game wasn't like actually really cool. And like the heavy metal, like ripping people's hearts out with <laughs> demon snakes and like creating black holes to whip tons of people up. Like that stuff is rad. Like that's really cool. And like, um, there's something about those snakes as well, like design wise that just look so cool. Like coming from the, like, like, especially in your first person perspective, just like having them always there. Um, and like all that stuff is rad. And like, I think Mike Patton's like voice performance, the darkness is like equally bizarre and weird as that game is like, yeah, it's 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 really powerful. Like it's really guttural and growling, and like a way that I don't like. I don't think I've heard much voice acting like that in any game like since either. Like it's such a bizarre take, but again, it just kind of like makes the game stand out as being like this weird little gem that, frankly, I don't think enough people like look fondly back on. Like people liked it. And like, but I think a lot of people look at back and just like, oh, it was a good seven out of ten like game that it was back then. But I think it has so much more worth than that. And I like that's one of the reasons I picked it. Like, maybe I don't think it's like the best game ever made. But like, if I have a platform to talk about how cool I think the darkness is, like, I'm gonna take it. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's yours to take to the island. And you've just reminded me that the darkness was voiced by Mike Patton. Which I yep. entirely forgot, which is just an insane thing as well. <laughs> like Mike Patton from Faith No More. Just That's him. In video games. That is so yeah. odd. <laughs> he and like he like he embodied that demonic character and like actually that like the relationship that Jackie and the Darkness have is very interesting because like they're very they're at odds and having to work together like yeah. the entire time. Like because he's the host and it needs it to survive, but the darkness is constantly like, consume me, consume me, like, let me, and like, <laughs> take you over. And he's like, no, because I love my girlfriend and blah, blah, blah. Like, it's all these, like, weird, interesting, it's like this weird dynamic that's right at the center of that. Um, that, again, just, like, really helps that game stand out as, like, a really strong story, I think. Excellent. Well, I think, uh, I think we've said enough about the darkness now that we can move on. Um, and if we haven't, um, you should check it out for yourself because it really yeah. is, uh, especially now in this day and age, it's, I, th- when you look at what, what games are being released now, the AAA games that you see, the sort of first person shooters that you see, the darkness was maybe the last in an era where you might have these not AAA titles, but maybe like B plus. Yeah, sure. Your, your double games. A titles. Yeah, that you would pick up for a game for like a tenner yeah. or something. And you'd be like, hey, The Darkness, what's this? I'll try it. And you get home and you play it for a weekend. You're like, that was a great experience. And I think yeah. that it's becoming more and more that there's less of that in this generation of video games. Um, so if you're still interested, you still have your PlayStation 3. Or it's not in a cupboard somewhere. Um, definitely try and pick that up because that is definitely a game I would recommend spending a weekend playing. Uh, it's really good. But I think it's about time we move on to the next game where I think I'm going to lose all credibility anyone I ever had for me because I actually still haven't played the next game um, for all the ranting and raving everyone did about it last year. Uh, I still haven't played it. Um, I think that's because I didn't have the platform it was on. Oh, I know so, what it is. <laughs> I'm going to listen to Mr. Patrick talk about it after listening to some music, and then we're going to dive straight into it.
Okay, so Patrick, as I said, I think I'm going to lose credibility with anyone who may have had a fragment for me because I still haven't played this next game. It was developed by Moon Studios um, and published by Microsoft Studios as well. It was released for the PC, Xbox 360, and Xbox One in March of last year. Uh, It's sort of inspired by games like Rayman and Metroid, and it was, I think, what, critically appraised across the board, just received well, like eight, nines, tens from so many outlets. Um, and I think it even won some Game of the Year awards from some places. It's the, I imagine, excellent single-player platform adventure, Ori and the Blind Forest. Patrick, explain to me why I should have played this and I'm an idiot for not playing it. So there are two things people know about Patrick Day. One, he likes Batman v Superman. Two, he <laughs> likes Ori and the Blind Forest. Um, one is more controversial than the other (laughs) yeah but I mean like even then like I you say that some outlets did give it game of the year I did give it game of the year last year you Um, gave it game of the year wow okay yeah so so Bleeding Cool gave it out Um, and obviously like last year was an incredibly strong year for games like you had your Bloodborne's your The Witcher 3 um, yeah you have to explain so the first two games you you mentioned then were incredible so you have to explain to me why that Ori deserve to even be above those games <laughs> okay so <laughs> it's your job man do it <laughs> this is what i do um simply put compared to those games like those games are amazing um and they all did make my special mentions for top five um but i can't say anything bad about ori in the blind forest like perfect games don't exist but for me if like Ori's pretty close like I don't have much. Ba- I don't have much, if anything, bad to say about it. Like, which is obviously not great for a critic, to, a great position for a critic to be in. Obviously, you should be trying to find your faults and ways to improve and everything. But for me, <laughs> it's just such a complete package. Like, you know, Bloodborne's great, but and like The Witcher's, uh, yeah, The Witcher's great, but like they have these sections that aren't as good as like its peaks, right? Like they have sections that. You know, it's just lolling a little bit. And, like, Ori doesn't have that. Like, it's only about seven hours long. And it's so beautifully crafted um, in terms of art direction, especially. Like, there are no two assets that are the same. Everything's hand-drawn. Um, there are... The level design is very, very clever. Um, and the world that it creates uh, is, like, absolutely beautiful. Um, the music, uh, disclaimer, I have since met, uh, Gareth Coker from who did compose the music. So I guess disclosure, whatever, but, um, (laughs) that, that, that is also, that is also like, I think some of the best music that came out last year. Um, there's just like everything about it for me. is just like ticks across the board, like gameplay, uh, art design, music, um, just like anything. It's such a brilliant little such a brilliantly made game and like the fact that the story as this story goes is that phil spencer wanted to open uh e3 2014 yeah 2014 um with ori and the blind forest which would have been massive for an xbox um like an like an xbox press conference at e3 um and supposedly from as the story goes this is just because he he adored that vision so much and like i can't I can't just can't fold that because that game is such a beautiful little piece 
that is so like compact and succinct like and I'll always be I'll have like once a year I'll always go back and play that game because it's incredibly special um and like it also has personal resonance with me because it was at a time when I felt like <laughs> I don't know <laughs> but like in terms of where I was in the industry like that was that came at a time or a year at least when I felt more accepted or like the stuff I'd been doing for years on end has like started to be noticed. So like a lot of the games that I've picked to bring to the Cesar Island kind of like remind me of little parts of my career. Right. And like Ori is this brilliant headline for like where I kind of feel that things are now for me in a way. If, like I'm getting like weirdly personal about it, but at the same time, like, it wouldn't be there if the game wasn't that good. If that makes sense. Uh, kind kind of. Um so, <laughs> so I mean like for you for you like what questions do you have about it? Like maybe that's maybe that's a better way for me to explain. Um okay, so sort of the understanding I have. Uh, I've watched videos of it and I will admit that the art style isn't sort of my normal taste and stuff. You're a bad um, person, Liam. It reminds me of a game I didn't like, though. It reminds me of a game I reviewed what, five years ago called Underworld. Underworld? Is it called Underworld? Underwater? Undergarden? Something? Um, I, I, I forget. Oh, Undergun. The Undergun, it was called. And the okay. art style reminds me of that, and I didn't like that game uh, at all. Uh, <laughs> um, and I, I get that sort of sort of mystical vibe from it. Um so the art style maybe didn't bring me in, but I'm not too bothered about that. Gameplay is think, sort of where I think, I think you're I a monster. You're an absolute well, monster. That game, is, that game is beautiful. How dare you? How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd have to actually play it and see it in motion to sort of maybe understand. Sure, like, yeah. Every time I think of it, I just picture like the light blue, uh, dark cloud sort of stuff going on. with. No, the... but like that game, like... If it was just that for seven hours, that would definitely get boring. But because of it's, it's definitely built in sections. Like the way, because the way the story works is that all the light has kind of like left this forest, right? And then the way you get that back is you go to all these separate um, elemental planes or whatever. Like one's water based, one's fire based, one's wind based. So like, and like all those places look incredibly different. So like the art style is consistently shifting. Yeah. Um, so. It's like it doesn't get boring to look at. Okay, that okay. So it has some variety to it. But the thing is yeah. that obviously I haven't seen that because I haven't played it yet. So maybe I would have yeah, the sure. same thoughts after. The other thing is I've heard it is inspired by games like Metroid. I love yep. Metroid. Is that sort of true? And to what extent does it take from games like Metroid in its sort so, of gameplay? I think uh, the uh, the trap that a lot of people fall in with Ori is that because it's a cutesy, um, beautiful-looking platformer, like, it's incredibly easy. But it's not. Like, there is absolutely intense challenge in that game. Like, that's one of the things that everybody comes away from saying. It's like, that game was, like, weirdly hard. And, like, there is something super old-school about the way that it's put together and the way that you unlock abilities and the way that you come back from places to then open up new places because of ability. Like that's the Metroidness of it, right? Like okay. is that is that challenge and there is that like you're you're on a map and you are traversing backwards and forwards and finding new abilities and opening new new ways and stuff. Um so like the Metroid thing is apt, I think. It's 
you're not going to be like if you like you know if you really wanted to go out and play like a game like Metroid, you could play like Axiom Verge or something. But, <laughs> or just Metroid. <laughs> or just Metroid. Um, so it's not like there are certainly games closer to Metroid that are out there than Ori. Yeah, but like its DNA is like very clear. Yeah, um, absolutely. And I think a lot of I think a lot of that comes with, especially with that challenge. Like there are, if I like if I had to like. There's one section that I do think is, like, a little bit too hard just because it breaks up the pace of what's going on. So you're trying to get out of a tree as um, water is gushing up it and you're trying to run away. And, like, it's very easy to die. And it kind of does kill that thing of, like, when you're running away from something. Like, you want to always feel like you're just a step ahead. But, like, so you're in danger, but you're also kind of not because you know you're going to get through. Like, it does kind of break yeah. that a little bit. But, okay. like, so, like, but, yeah, man, that game could get, like, brutally hard and weird and mind-bending gravity stuff going on, like, it's so full of ideas, and it, it's, it throws so many at you within that seven-hour, uh, you know, playtime. Um, that I don't know. I just think it's hard to get bored, and I think that it it absolutely digs its place in that genre of you know your Metroidvanias um, in a really special way. If that, and the thing is, if, I have hopefully like... that I could. Yeah, no, I do want to play it. And the thing is, I I don't know why I haven't. I literally don't have any. Well, there's lots of games to play. There's lots of lots of things. That's the to thing. Consume. I think there is a lot of things to play, and I think I I didn't have an Xbox One at the time it came out. Um, uh, I haven't bought it on PC since because in Japan I only have like my laptop, so I can't play anything that was easy, even sort of mildly graphically intensive. Um, yeah. So I just think it hasn't been available to me to play. I I don't have any issues with it. When I look at it, I'm like, hey, that kind of looks kind of nice. Um, the art style yeah. isn't my normal sort of thing. It does remind me of this game prior that I didn't like, but obviously <laughs> sure. that's got no bearing on whether no. Ori would be good or not. Um, I mean, and I'm interested in games that are like Metroid because I I do like Metroid. Yeah, and like it's I, not like I say, it's not. Yeah, no, I totally understand what you're saying. Like it's not completely like Metroid, yeah, but it is not, certainly It's not a Metroidvania genre. or something like that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's in the genre. Own game. Yeah, it's, it's in the realms, which is cool because, you know, Metroid is really good. So games that spin off from that and then do their own thing, it's totally cool. I probably will eventually play it because I tend to go back and maybe play sort of games that I miss that are being talked about as these standout points in a generation. I, I, I do I do genuinely think that, like, people are going to look back on this game very favorably in a few years. Like, I think that it will be one of the, like, standouts from, you know, 2015. Okay. When people do look back. So, and, like, it's not to say, like, oh, it's super important, you have to play it. But, like, you do. But, like, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not, it's, I, I don't think it's, like, that shameful that you didn't play it. Like, it was a pretty small, obscure game, and, like, it kind of came out with, like, a bit of a quiet buzz about it back in January 2015. Um, but, yeah, you like you should definitely give it a go. Um, like, did you play Inside? I, I actually... See, Inside is the other thing. I have okay. Inside installed on my PlayStation 4. So the reason, yet the reason I have I not it, found time to play that. Sure. It's, like... They're not the same game at all. I was bringing it up as a point of comparison, which is to say, like... There's something about the pacing of that game... And the way that it's created, where it's just hard to come up with... You can see the brilliance in the way that it's designed, right? Like, there's something about it that's incredibly... Again, perfect's not the right word, but they're, like... They're put together in ways that other games aren't, in that they feel like complete experiences, and you... And so, like, that's kind of... 
I think there's a comparison between Ori and Inside. I think they're completely different games, but there is a something about the way that those games are put together and designed um, that feel like masterful in a way. Um, so I like that, like, and I can't say too many bad things about either. So that's kind of like why I kind of put it up there and gave it Game of the Year last year. It was just like it was so hard to find anything wrong with it. You know, like maybe maybe its highs aren't as high as like maybe something in Bloodborne or what uh, The Witcher. But again, it's like I don't think it's that far below either. Like I, it's just a game that brings me like a lot of warmth, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, like that sort of warm, fluffy blanket that you like. I enjoyed yeah. this game. I don't mind sitting down for an afternoon and either you know sort of reminiscing about it or uh, having a pl- having a short playthrough or something. Well, you can be able to play it as much as you want in the tower where you're going to be trapped. Um, and maybe maybe we can sit down together in your tower one day and play it through together, and then we can talk some more about it. That would that would be nice. That would be nice. We can cuddle up on the sofa and let's do it. Watch something cutesy on the screen and getting incredibly frustrated at water levels water levels in video games always bad news always bad news um but we're going to move on to the next game now and you sort of spoke a little bit about this series um in your choice of a a deserted place but you didn't choose it um so we're going to talk about this next game and this next game is a controversial game uh, from a while ago, and I, I imagine some people have entirely forgotten about what was going on then. Um, but at the time, <laughs> it was pretty much everything anyone would ever write about. If you think to the No Man's Sky controversy, a lot of freelance now, pitches, a yeah, lot of freelance pitches. <laughs> if you think to the No Man's Sky controversy of late, this is kind of what happened back in um, what was it, 2012, with this game. So let's listen to some music from this next game, and let's listen to Patrick defend valiantly why this game is going to the tower with him. So Patrick, the next game that you have chosen is Mass Effect Three. It is. That's the one. <laughs> and there is the idiom that that it is the third game in the yeah. series, uh, developed by Bioware and published by, of course, EA. Um, directed by Casey Hudson and the wonderful team at Bioware. It is for PC, PlayStation Three, Xbox Three Hundred and Sixty, and even got a launch on the Wii U as well. It's the action role playing third person shooter that released in March of twenty twelve. Mass Effect 3, Patrick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, yes. I feel like, I feel like, I feel like you want to, I feel like you, wow, I felt like you wanted to ask me something about it. Well, I mean, like, the obvious, I, the, like, the obvious question is, like, why 3, right? 
Like So yeah, why three? So my personal favorite is two. And yeah. I have played two, I think, like three times and mm-hmm. each time a hundred percent of it. So I, I don't know. There's something about two that apart from yeah, the sorry. ending, like the last boss, which I don't like, that game to me is like Western RPG perfection. I love that game. Sure. And like but, I tend to agree with you. I think two is a brilliant game as well. Like and like there's no Mass Effect three without Mass Effect two, right? Like Yeah. And so I actually don't mind Mass Effect three. I like some of the stuff that happens in Mass Effect three. Mm-hmm. I will admit I was a little I don't know, grated by the sort of ending of this huge trilogy that had been a part of my life for getting on for like six years by that point. I'd been to Gamescom in 2011 and played the demo of Mass Effect 3 and it was such an incredible demo and I remember being like, okay, Mass Effect 3 is going to be the greatest thing since sliced bread because 2 was so fantastic and I enjoyed my playthrough of 3 but I had problems with it and i imagine as some people took that way further than i did and had exponentially life-changing difficulties with it and this and the ending and that sort of thing but there are people out there who do defend this game and people who really do enjoy it and although you said mass effect 2 is sort of probably the better game why is mass effect 3 the one that is personally more important to you and why it's going with you out of all the games you could have chosen so i also don't think that mass effect 2 is a better game just gonna put it out there. I do. Mass Effect Two is important to me, but Mass Effect Three, um, again, like had a moment in my life when I had just left uni and I was still trying to figure out like what what was I gonna go do? Like what was what was the next thing? Was I gonna go keep trying to make films? Was I gonna go write about films? Was I gonna write about games? Like, and so it does have that personal resonance. Like a lot of my titles do. Just like uh, as a period in my life, right. Um, which is when you're on a desert island, you want to go back and you want to be like, oh yeah, that was that period in my life, right? Um, yeah, sort of memories of times when you played games. Like, Mass yeah, Effect totally. 2 is pretty much exactly what you're talking about for me. Like, Mass Effect 2 was my university time that yeah. I remember really fondly destroying every aspect of Mass Effect 2 in my second year of university. And it is sure. very important to me because of that. Also, it's... Uh, like this isn't a deal breaker, but can I have the game of the year edition of Mass Effect Three? Because a lot of that DLC is brilliant as well. Okay, so the rule is that you get any DLC that comes with okay, a video cool. game because brilliant. a lot of video okay. games are great, uh, but they're made even better as a package because of the DLC that comes later. So I think that's yeah. entirely fair that you get so, to take DLC with you. So again, uh, I, 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 so I guess I still haven't answered like why Mass Effect Three, and it's. There's a fr- like the phrase that comes to my head when I think about Mass Effect Three is like it's not the destination, it's the journey, um, and everyone kind of always complains that that game doesn't have an ending or like oh I didn't get enough closure or anything. But like that entire game, and this is kind of like why I'm saying like there's no Mass Effect Two without Mass Effect Three. Like that entire game feels like saying goodbye to that that series. Like everything's like a bit of a victory lap. Like and there's something about that, especially considering that. The friendships that you build with the characters in that game um, are very important. Um, so for me, it felt like I was spending 20 hours saying goodbye to people I cared about. Obviously, like, you know, how much you can care about an NBC. But, like, it felt like saying goodbye to entities in a piece of art that I really identified with. Um, and there's something powerful about that for me. Like, that is pretty unique about Mass Effect 3. The 
way that I, the, like, because of the way I interact and the way I look back on those characters, which really is, like, Mass Effect, the game, is great, but what really make, what makes that series special, and I think what, why it's become, you know, the series is basically a classic at this point, or it will be in, for years to come, like, that's just the way we kind of regard it now, is because of the relationships you build with characters and why, how that informs the actual mechanics. Like, and it is a weird AAA game that story absolutely like the context of what you're doing with the mechanics um, build up. And like, that's not exclusive to Mass Effect 3. But like I say, Mass Effect 3 is that experience where I felt like I was saying goodbye. Like, there's a very bittersweet story, um, which again can be kind of rare in games or at least be impactful in games. Um, and even the ending, like, I have a fondness for the ending and how uh, defeatist it is. Like, regardless <laughs> reg- regardless of how that ending was come to me, like, I'm, it probably wasn't, like, the final idea. Could have been, but probably isn't, like, was probably because of some sort of time constraints or EA, you know, saying, like, oh, you know, we need it out by this time. Um, but there's something about it that's kind of beautiful in, like, the way that it kind of plays out, which is just, like, the Reapers always come. Like, that that's kind of like the constant of the universe. The Reapers always come every couple of millennia to eradicate life. And, like, you can't win. Like, there's something about that that I find, like, kind of beautiful in, like, you win in a way that you supposedly break the cycle, depending on, like, what ending, I guess, you fall into. But, um, the idea that everything's pre- predetermined, everything, and, like, it, and that the destination isn't so important. So, as, like, the ending doesn't matter too much because that was always the intention, in a way, like, like the, or the like, universe it, like, works in a rotation and yeah, everything comes like, around. Exactly. So, this was... You can't win, and, like, what makes that important is that the time that you spent with the characters, like, your it was the road trip that you took to get there. It doesn't matter that you died at the end of the game or whatever space magic, blah blah blah. It, like that doesn't matter. It's that that was always going to happen, and that the experience that you created though with the characters, that world, that universe, like that was your own. That was real, and like the ending doesn't erase that. In fact, I think the ending elevates that as like this was like special. Like the experience that you had, the journey that you went on, that special, and it didn't matter that. You know, because you brought in all these races, like, and, you know, you were boyfriends with Garrus, like, you be went on and won the game, whereas other people didn't. Like, yeah, there's there's something about that that I find kind of, like, weirdly beautiful. Like, and like I say, I don't know if, like, that was the intention or anything, and I'm sure it wasn't. But, like, the way that I read that game, there is something in that, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Well, I am, I don't know. It, it's been so long to think of like the controversy at the time and what people had an actual issue with. And I understand people who maybe have gone through a sci-fi adventure, like if you're watching a TV show, just the same, and then all of a sudden you sort of have that almost just like, like this is it. This is the end. Now choose your ending. Yeah, totally. Like, almost I, like, I understand that. Choose the ending you want. Uh, and the green ending is this. Blue ending is this. And yellow ending is this. And that is like, oh, so all, all of these dramatic choices and 
Paragon and Renegade options I've had and everything that's built up to this very moment is for nothing. Almost. Kind of. Like, and that's kind of sacrilege in games, right? Like, you're not supposed to do that because a lot of, a lot of games is about power fantasy. It's about, you know, or feeling like you've achieved something so then that there is a direct end goal to the reason that you did the thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and Mass Effect 3, like again, like I say, I don't, I'm sure it wasn't designed like this, but for me, what that ending, like the ending's just like kind of radical to me in like a storytelling way that other games aren't because of how they have to cater to a player's time and, uh, you know, their achievements. But I also think there's something really cool about like having gone on a journey that you absolutely love and then it just being kind of a dour ending. Or like uh, a <laughs> deter- uh, determined ending, like because that doesn't for me that doesn't erase the fifty hours that I had with Mass Effect Three that I think were absolutely brilliant. Like I think yeah, the, no, no. Some of the, I think some of the best character work is done in that game. Like it's just think that that ending for a lot of people just like hangs over the entire experience. Well, I think there and, are some people out there that clash against the you know the way that you play video games. Um, to, like I'm very similar to you. Like the journey means more to me than anything but there are people out there who push as fast as possible through the journey to get to the ending because the ending is the ultimate payoff and it has to be this spectacular excellent amazing thing and i you know there's a game like mass effect um well to be honest each iteration of mass effect one two and three all had pretty disappointing endings if i'm being honest two i thought was uh, two is the ending of two is one of my most annoying foibles in video games because I love that game to death, but it is not a perfect game, and maybe even hangs in being good and great because that last boss fight is just awful in my opinion. Yeah, totally. I don't like it at all. And so you know they they all kind of had weak endings, so I don't know why people sort of expected any different. But to sure. some people, the well, I think it's because it's like, important. So I, I understand. Know. I understand why it is because like people wanted to feel like their their entire experience was worthwhile or um, they wanted it to end how they wanted it to end. And that's that's like what the big conversation was. It's like, should, around that whole thing, which is like, should fans be able to have a say in how a piece of art is ends or concludes? Um, and like, that was really like the big sticking point. It was like, should artists be able to ignore fans or are fans part of the creative process now? Like, and like, I don't know. There's something about it that does make me happy. And like, I, there is kind of like a weird thing. It was just like, oh, journalists just like it because they hate gamers, blah, 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 blah. Which is obviously not true. Um, but there is something, <laughs> there is something to it. And like, maybe, maybe it is because, I don't know, I play so many games and I don't know, I am a pretentious wank. Like, well, no, no, when but... you play so many games, something has to stand out that's different. And sometimes yeah. something that can be portrayed as negative, but is different. Um, it maybe stands out a little more to people who play a lot of games because it's like, whoa, yeah. hang on a sec, this is different from the last ten games that all had a gun and I shot people in the head. And I think, and I think you have to. I do think that people have to remember that the ending of Mass Effect Three was extended a little bit. Not obviously, not like obviously they did extend it a little bit, but then that's not what I'm like. I think the Citadel DLC like acted as the actual farewell for for people in that game like if people haven't played it like most of that there there's like actiony bits in it but like most of that is just about hanging around with the characters and like that's the last piece of content that came out for the game and like so it did feel like a proper farewell like 
because people were annoyed that like, oh, I, my relationships didn't matter. But then you get this other piece of DLC, and you know, you're just hanging around with like, you know, a bunch of dudes at a party. I'm like, that's cool. Like, that's like the perfect way to end that story because <laughs> that's what the, that's what's important about that game. Um, yeah, man, like Mass Effect Three is a great game. I and I do think mechanically it's the best game um, as well. Like I. Like, 2 was certainly a massive step up from 1, especially in terms of gameplay mechanics. But um, I do think 3 was refined even better um, in terms of, like, shooting and, you know, navigating and all that. Well, well, it's yet to be seen how Mass Effect will continue. Obviously, Andromeda, we've seen... Mm -hmm. We're seeing more of it now. We've recently saw quite a bit of gameplay. Um, And it sort of seems really interesting. Uh, So... We'll have to wait and see how the series is sort of changed under new hands because there are a lot of new people who are working on it. So, you know, we'll see next year where the series is going and if it can sort of still retain that sort of special thing that Mass Effect has. I mean, I can't quite put my finger on it, but there's definitely something incredibly special about the series. But we should move on now to the next game, which is a game I have played the first part of um, a very a long time ago now, it feels. Um, so... Let's listen to this next game's music and let's dive straight into it. Patrick is a game by Cardboard Computer, uh, and com- it was available for PC, uh, Mac, and Linux. It's a it's sort of like a, an adventure game. It's a point and click episodic game. Uh, its first act released in January of 2013. Its second act released in May of 2013. Uh, then a year later, in May of 2014, its third act, and then recently in July of this year, after a two-year wait, uh, Act 4 of this game came around. Uh, I played the first act um, back when it was sort of making the rounds, and it was really interesting, and I, it's another game I sort of haven't got onto i don't know why um it was originally sort of kickstarted as well it's kentucky route zero uh patrick mm. why are you taking kentucky route zero this is a strange choice for a deserted island it is yeah um actually i will say just because of how times work i haven't actually got to play the act for you um, okay so, well, so this, this you will you will have that you will have that with you so you'll have plenty of time to play yeah it. sir, I, I'll, i'm sure i'll get to it um it's funny, like, I'm like, oh, it's really hard to talk for, like, a couple hours on an end, because it's like, oh, my voicing, and then you're like, oh, and then we're gonna, we get to talk about this next game, and then I'm like, oh, yeah, I get to talk about that next game. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like, Kentucky Route Zero um, is 
a special game. It's maybe that's the wrong. Maybe it's a very unique game. Um, people, it's very easy to say like, "Oh, a game's unique," or "It's doing this thing and it's unique," or "It's doing this and it's special." Um, Kentucky Route Zero, like, there's nothing like Kentucky Route Zero. Um, it's completely abstract. It's a weird rumination on like just out there ideas that you just don't see in games. Like it's such a bizarre little thing. And the releases of it have been wild as well, because obviously it was sold as a complete package that would come episodically. Um, and then it's like you have years and years between each episode, but weirdly that kind of just adds to like the weird mysticism or like <laughs> to this game. Like it's such a bizarre little production. Um, and, like, if I was saying something to a desert island, like, I just want something that's, like, weird and unique that makes me feel like something that other, another game doesn't. Like, it's such a bizarre little game. So, I mean, I guess I should probably actually talk about what it is. Um, yeah. Besides just saying platitudes about it being weird. Um, it's, <laughs> um, so, you play as a couple of people, but you basically start off as a truck driver um, in Kentucky, obviously. Um, and... Well, that's at least how the first episode starts. And it, you kind of go through all these weird ab- abstract um, set pieces, in a way, I guess. Um, or environments. And it doesn't make sense. Like, sometimes you'll just go downstairs in the basement and a bunch of people who can't see you are just playing D&D with a glow-in-the-dark dice. Sometimes you'll meet a boy and he's got a massive eagle. Sometimes you'll go and play an old DOS video game in a cave somewhere like it's such a bizarre thing and i think one of the things that makes it special is like i don't think the game's pretentious because i think it's very deliberately not about anything or at least it's not it's not trying to say something it's instead just trying to make you feel something does that make sense it's there's a there's a so so like the I think with like there's a lot of like things that I think could be construed as symbolism in the game. Um so like there's things it's like, oh yeah, there's a boy with uh a big eagle. Like what does that big eagle represent? Or, you know, why am I playing this computer game underwater in this lava cave? And why am I saying things that don't really have any bearing? Like why am I making choices about dialogue <laughs> that don't have any bearing on the story? Like but I don't think that's the point. Like I don't think you're supposed to read into that and be like Oh, what does it? But what does it mean? I think it's just like it's supposed to be weird, and like I think that's cool. Like I think it's just supposed to make you feel like you're in a place that's bizarre and nonsensical, um, and abstract in a way that video games, even like point and click, weird artsy walking simulator games, like it's weird. It's weird in a way that even those games aren't, and it really does make me feel something like a sense of place um, that very few games have ever done for me. Um, I always feel like I'm being transported to this world, this David Lynchian weird world. Um, and that's like incredibly powerful to me. And I guess if like I was on a desert island, I would want to at least have some place where I could go play something and feel like I was somewhere else if I was spending my entire life in the tower. But, you know, like, so like that's one of the reasons why I picked it. But again, it's just like any time I get to talk about Kentucky Route Zero and about how abstract and unique and special it is and weird and 
like silly and stupid and it doesn't make sense, but it's still like an incredible piece of art. Like <laughs> that's really fun to talk about because it doesn't make any sense when I say it. And it's because the game doesn't really make any sense either. So like, I, I understand if like everyone's like, what the hell is it? What the hell is Patrick talking about? It doesn't make any sense. Like it's weird. It's like, but it's like, that's kind of what that game is, but in a very like artistically true way, I guess is a good way of putting it. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, it, it's I don't know, it's hard because I've only played the first act. It would be totally, totally disingenuous for me to sort of comment too much about how the, the sort of series has progressed. But I don't know. I, I'm not c- convinced too much about games like Kentucky Route Zero that aren't. They always seem to be doing more than they are. If you, if you get me, they're trying to be more than what they are. And I think a, a lot of people have problems with that. You know, we have all these conversations about games like Gone Home and uh, these quote-unquote walking simulators that we've talked a lot about. Um, and people seem to have a problem with the fact that they are trying to be symbolic, symbolic in some way or they're trying to make you think in a certain way or drive emotions in you in a certain way. And... Um, Sometimes that's true, and I imagine a lot of the times, you know, as a creator or as a storyteller, you're obviously trying to invoke some sort of emotion in in the player, and maybe with these games, I think a lot of people have the problem that they are too story-driven than gameplay-driven, and I think Kentucky Route Zero can fall under that a little bit. Um, Yeah. And as you said, I kind of understand where you're coming from in the terms of that, that it's not trying to tell you something but it's trying to make you feel something which is yeah it's different like uh gone home is maybe trying to tell you something uh and yeah, then, sure. you know it's again sort of like gone simple. home is has a great sense of place like a decorative zero does but they are completely different, different like yeah, yeah exactly and and there is almost varying degrees of this sort of melded genre of these games that all get put under the same umbrella of like indie titles that are I don't know, they're quoted as being like political or they don't have gameplay. Yeah. And these kind of things. And I think that's a little unfair sometimes. Yeah, sure. I um, mean, like, Kentucky Route Zero definitely has that. Yeah, it definitely does. Um, and I'm not convinced whether it is trying to tell you something and stuff like that. Um, and I, I need to play more of it to sort of understand that. But yeah, I like the setting and its presentation was really nice. And Gameplay wise is you know it's it's, it's does game. yeah yeah it does fall under that a little bit that sort sure. of umbrella I mean, of storytelling over gameplay maybe yeah sure I mean like I think it does a lot of really interesting things with perspective especially if you go layer into it like the way that like where the camera is and how it moves and like like there's a lot of stuff in it that's that's interesting down there yeah um, but you know and like I think it's natural like especially like if you just jump into the first hour of the first episode i think it'd be very natural to be like this is nonsense like this is like super pretentious it's nonsense like they're trying to say stuff and it doesn't make any sense i think that's natural because like a lot of it doesn't make sense but and i think when something doesn't make sense you feel like it's trying to convey like a a political like or a message to you or something um and i think it's natural to kind of buck up against kentucky Route zero like that but i think especially the longer that you play it you kind of realize that that's like at least to me, like maybe, maybe it is, but at least to me, it doesn't feel like it's trying to say anything. Um, but at the same time, that doesn't mean it's meaningless. 
you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I can understand that. I can understand um, that. So I think the longer you play it, the more you recognize that it's not actually trying to do that thing that you think it's trying to do, um, which is, you know, convey some sort of overarching political message about why there's a bear <laughs> on a computer or something. Like, it's just weird. And, like, that's okay. And, like, it's very... I want I want to play things that make me feel something and, you, and that are unique. And there's a lot of mood games like that. But I think Kentucky Route Zero is the best one. And I think it looks phenomenal. I think that the writing, even though it doesn't really lead anywhere, is, like... Kind of, kind of like wraps, wrap, like wraps you in your brain. Like there's just like it's like why are they talking like this, or like why is this phrase like this? And it's just like the game's trying to make you ask questions, but at the same time trying to be like, also just forget about your questions and just like experience it. Like there's something about that, that I find incredibly powerful about it, and like that's that's why I'm always really excited anything comes out about that game. And like there is a weird like mysticism to it for me. Like it's it's a weird mythical game to me. Like I say, I think these weird, like, the, like, gaps between episodes, like, that, like, that game started coming out when I was just basically starting in the games industry, and we're already, we're still only in, like, Act 4 of 5, like, so... It's a journey. It's definitely been a it's, journey. It's been, it's been something, yeah, like, especially, like, the last, like, I think it was two years between the last two, like... Yes, it was, whew, yeah. That's a, it's a really long time, but <laughs> if you haven't played it, like... I think people owe it to themselves to really give it a chance, at least. Um, and like I say, don't try and go in and be like, oh, I'm going to get it, or I'm going to ask loads of questions, or I'm going to... Like, I think just experiencing it is important, and it's why it's why I really love it. Um, and it will always be one of the most, uh, you know, aesthetically pleasing and just, like, bizarre games I've ever played. And I dig bizarre shit, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's about time that we move on to the next game. And the next final, well, the final three games that you're coming up are all really, I would say, gameplay driven in comparison yeah. to the sort of games that we've recently spoke about. Um, yeah, maybe we should have organized this better, but don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're going through the long stretch. We're, we're going through the first person shooter garden now. Uh, yeah. With some wonderful sights upon the way. Um, so, why don't we listen to some music from this next game and let's dive straight into it? game on your list patrick i think is another strange one uh <laughs> if i'm honest uh, similar to mass effect 3 uh yeah. not the choice of series but the game in the series 
um, is maybe a little abstract to some people who know the series. Um, you've chosen a Halo game. I have. Now, it's not strange in the sense that you've chosen like Halo Wars or Halo ODST. No, no. But out of the mainline hey, titles... Hey, people love Halo ODST. <laughs> well, unfortunately, Halo Reach came out after was it after uh, it? Well, after uh, yeah, ODST was yeah, and uh, Halo Reach was fantastic. It's just it's so good. <laughs> but the game you have chosen is developed by Three Four Three Industries, not Bungie. Not Bungie. Not Bungie. Not Bungie. Um, and it released in November of 2012. It was Three Four Three sort of stamp. This is it. We're we're in charge now. Master Chief is under our our ward, and we're going to look after him. And it was that. F- sort of I don't know they tried so many new things with this game and a lot of it worked and a lot of it didn't but this first person shooter um, is released for the Xbox One in the Master Chief Collection and also the Xbox 360 it's Halo 4 Mr. Patrick Dane Halo 4 yeah Halo 4 Um, actually I always used to think I was super weird for thinking that Halo 4 was the best Halo. But the more that I talk about it, the more people come out and they're like, yeah, Halo 4 was the best one. I'm like, Are you like, just convincing hey, yourself? Top. Is this, is nah, this entire like, podcast just we're, to we're convince yourself? We're a community. Yourself? We think it's great. <laughs> um, this whole podcast no, has just been for you to convince yourself that the choices you've made <laughs> are worth it. I just love being weird. No, um, no, I do. So there, again, there is a vaguely personal reason of why this game okay uh, okay so like this is probably like the first game that like i remember covering as like a quote-unquote games journalist like uh this was one of the first things that was really happening at well culture where um i really dived into it in in a big way because i knew it was coming up and halo has always meant or not always but has at least during uh my teenage years meant something important to me like you know, I didn't really jump on to Halo 3, but since then, like, the series and, like, the books and the animes and, like, the podcasts, like, I, I, I consume it all because I just, I can't get enough of that universe for some reason in a weird way. I totally um, understand. I, I I have such a, a a guilty pleasure sort of weak spot for Halo lore and that Yeah, that have you listened universe. to Hunt the Truth? Yeah, it's excellent. It's Hunt the absolutely truth is excellent. It's, it's superb. But just the Halo universe, I have I have such a weakness for sci-fi universes anyway. And although yeah. Halo's isn't the most fleshed out, it's definitely fleshed out to a point where oh, it, it it makes me feel very warm and safe. And I really mm-hmm. do enjoy either hearing stuff about it or reading stuff about it. And yeah, I totally understand what you mean about so like like, like in the universe. Yeah, totally. And like. So it's important for me because of that, because it was like, it is like a marker for me of like, hey, this was the first like steps I was taking into talking about video games as a profession. Um, but that doesn't mean that it's, I, it's, this isn't entirely like personally based. Like again, like it's not about nostalgia or anything. I genuinely think that Halo 4, at least campaign wise, is the best Halo. Um, the, by that point, like Bungie's, version of halo was a lot of shooty shooty bang bang like and like it was incredibly done like level design's amazing but like the lore was like out of control like especially towards the end of three like it was just like there was so much going on um and for me a lot of the bungee games feel like 
and then this happened, and this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened. And it's not, it's not asking questions like, why, because, like, and then this, like, you know, like, that's how, like, a film story is, is constructed, or like, how a narrative's constructed. Whereas, like, it always just felt like, and then Master Chief did this, and then Master Chief did this, and then Master Chief did this. Whereas, like, <laughs> and, like, that, that's fine for, like, a video game, and, like, especially when it's a video game as, like, incredibly put together as, like, the first three Halos. Um, where Halo 4 excels for me, though, is in that they actually tried to do something with those characters, like, in a, in a sense that it, it hadn't been done before in that series. And again, I guess, disclosure, um, and it came after because of my love of Halo 4, but I do know the lead writer of Halo 4 now. But, um, <laughs> sorry, so, disclosure, I guess you can... Humble brag. Hashtag humble no, Well, no, no, it's more, it's more saying, like, <laughs> I know the guy who made it, so, like, some people... Disclosure, you know, disclosure. Um, but, uh, so I, I guess that could maybe feed into it, but I don't think it is. Like, the fact that they tried to make a human character out of Chief, who had just been an avatar for the player for the most part before that, like, they gave a character to, um, you know, Master Chief, and, like, what Cortana meant to him, and, like, how that relationship is very important to him. Like, it's the only thing that might keep him human because, you know, he's obviously augmented in weird, strange ways. Um, and it was really the first time for me that the series felt like it was character-driven as opposed to just action-driven, um, which is important to me. Like, it, you know, maybe it's because I'm, like, way into film and how three-act structures work and all that nonsense, but, like, that felt like a very important turning series for the entire franchise there. Like, like I said, like, Hunt of Truth came out after that and stuff. Like, it started being about characters instead of just lore and action. And, like, for example, like, the way that game kind of finishes, like, I am going to kind of go into the spoiler. I'm going to assume enough people have played Halo 4 if they don't have it, they're probably never going to it. Um, <laughs> well, the only choice they have is to play the absolutely horrid Master Chief Collection. Um, hey, Master Chief Collection's got its act together eventually. It's, eventually, it only what, took them. It was I think super rough I, time. I bought Master Chief. It Collection. It was like a year. <laughs> I bought Master Chief Collection six months after it after it launched, and it was mm-hmm. still bad when I played yeah. it. I, I thought it might be got fixed its act six together months. now. Okay, okay, so maybe um, you'll have some. Maybe you'll have an okay time. <laughs> yeah, but um, like the way that game ends um, is. Cortana is quote unquote dead. Um, and the final cutscene is just um, Chief looking out over space, and then Lasky, I think is his name, comes in. Um, and they just have like a really human moment. And he's just like, dude, I'd like, I know that you lost someone, and like that's important to you. Um, and like the way that Cortana unravels in that game as well, like the way that. Her AI is becoming rampant, um, and she's losing everything that kept her, you know, nice and cheery, um, and she's just kind of slowly going insane, and John has to deal with that, like, with somebody in there, like, that's happening to someone that he has inserted inside of his head. Like, there's something about that that's really, like, kind of weirdly unnerving, like, and especially considering, like, how cookie-cutter that relationship was, again, not to say that it was bad, but just, like, it was face action the numbers. hero. Yeah, By yeah, the numbers, yeah. very simple. Faces action hero, yeah. yeah. But, like, there's something unnerving about how that story was written. Um, and how it took those cookie-cutter things and really, like, added a bit of depth to those characters. And I, that I think is important. 
Um, and, you know, like, there are parts of the campaign that are kind of sort of forgettable and stuff, but I think that that backbone to the whole thing is strong enough to keep it, you know, keep it going. Um, and, you know, the multiplayer, people, some people despise the multiplayer. Um, it was okay. It, I don't think it was as strong as previous. I always looked to Halo Reach as the sure. superior version of Halo for multiplayer. Um, but, well, yeah, but I don't think it was that bad. The Promethean well, Reach, weapons were okay. Yeah, Reach was interesting because like that's actually where a lot of people started falling off Halo. Because Halo was always about just like everybody has the same things. Like you can't run. It's a weird and jumpy. Yeah. Whereas like, whereas like Reach was kind of the thing where it brought in sprinting and it brought in jetpacks yeah. and stuff no, like that. Fuck those guys. <laughs> no, <laughs> I mean, I, I, Reach was I, Reach is Reach is some of the best time I ever had playing a multiplayer game online, in my personal opinion. So I so, have a sort of almost a bias towards that game. I I, I hold it in such high regard as a, a first person shooter. Um, but I, I understand. I I think Halo Four. I liked Halo 4, and I liked it yeah. because it was I think, interesting sci-fi. But what's interesting is we're here talking about a Halo game, but we're, we're talking more about the story, which I think yeah. says something a lot about Halo 4 in comparison to the other games. Yeah, and I mean, like like I said, I think there's part of that, like the actual action, that isn't maybe isn't as strong as, like say, like some of the stuff you do in Halo 3. But for me, anyways, or the way that I like to consume games or what I find important in games, like... The story stuff and the narrative stuff and how that thing was constructed was way more important for me um, than just like ha- having a good level design. Um, and I do think that Halo Four does have great level design, just like maybe isn't like you know Mastercraft blah blah, blah Bungie. But um, like even the multiplayer, I love. I think that it was a smart continuation of the ideas in Reach. Um, I think that it was very important that Halo incorporated sprinting, even though you know purists will hate it. Um, and I think the maps were strong. Like, whenever me and my friends, like, we have a group who sometimes go and play Halo, we almost always go back and play Halo 4. Um, okay. I think there's something incredibly modern about, like, that, the way that that was designed. And obviously that's what loads of people hated it about it, because, like, oh, it's turning into Call of Duty. Um, which isn't true. Like, it, the physics of that game were completely different, and the speed of it's completely different, and the weapons of it feel completely different. Um, but I do think that Sprint was an important inclusion in, in, uh, in the Halo multiplayer. And then, like, I, under- I understand the criticisms of Halo 4. Um, they... A lot of the lore gets lost. And like I said, I, there's a lot... When they actually try and interact with it in the story, that's where the story can kind of get weird. Because, like, there's stuff like the Didact and the Librarian. And you're like, I don't... Like, you have no context for who they are. Um, and they just kind of pop out... Like, oh yeah, I'm really important to this universe. You don't really know me. Alright, I'm gonna go now. Bye. Like, (laughs) so that's kind of how it plays out. But, like, there are... What I think a lot of people miss is, like, a lot of the terminals and stuff. There is actually, like, a mini-series in there of um, these, like, animations almost that go through and explain that story of what happened between the didact and the library. And that is actually really interesting. Like, it is a very interesting story, like, about how, you know, they were the forerunners and how they ended up splitting and stuff and like how that, how that came to be despite being married and stuff like that. That's an interesting story. And like, I understand if you just played the narrative by itself and did no digging in the lore or anything afterwards, um, it hurts because it's not an entirely complete story. Um, and stuff is just happening that you have no reference for, uh, which, which does hurt it. But 
that stuff is there. It's not like it's not like it was a second afterthought. It was just that they I think they were pushing like a huge like multi-platform franchise like read the books, read the watch the TV series, play the game. But um that I think they were still trying to figure out how to implement all that in it and that does hurt the story, but I think that the core tenets of it at least for what's important for me um is that is that narrative backbone about making John and Cortana like you know, real characters with, like, real stakes, like, their relationship absolutely morphed and changed, and, like, the unsettlingness of just having a friend, like, unravel in front of you. Like, she almost, like, I don't know, there's, like, a weird, like, just the idea of having someone in your head who's literally unraveling and going insane and has control, like, that's, there's there's something, like, weirdly odd and, like, that I don't like about it, but in, like, a powerful artistic, like, kind of sci-fi horror way. Um, that obviously is, it's obviously Halo, it's a, Halo 4 isn't a horror, but like, it's, it was just like a weird, it was a weird idea that I really dug. <laughs> wow. It's yours to take with you and you can then dive into as much sort of multiplayer and story and stuff yeah. as you want. Um, sure can. I think we should move on to the next game now because the next game is interesting <laughs> from a point where very similar to this game. It's a massive change for a developer and yep. following along tangibly from this game to the next. Um, and this game, not so much... I don't know. I This is weird because I usually have people who come on the show and have played games I have played. A lot of your list, Patrick, is games that I've sort of glossed over or i've missed or i've not been a part of the boat and it's really interesting to listen to you talk about these games because i don't get to listen very often to people talk about games i haven't played and it's always interesting to hear sort of the other the other side of things i i did kind of say like i didn't i'm not picking like games that i think are the best games they're just games that i want to like if you have a platform and it's like they're games that i love and i just like love talking about them which is exactly and it's funny because at the start of this podcast i said that as i always say this is a podcast inspired uh, this is a podcast about the games that inspired us and then i went on a rant about how it's not really so much about that anymore but here you are coming in <laughs> bursting through the door and showing me exactly why i was wrong and that is why the tagline of the show is that so let's move on to this next game because i'm very interested to hear from your point of view especially from a story point of view if this yeah. game has <laughs> yeah. any um, so let's listen to some music from this next game. It has featured quite frequently on the show in the previous weeks, and, and no guest has yet been able to explain to me just why they keep playing it. Everyone seems to love it, but they don't know for what reason. So hopefully Patrick can shed some more light on this issue. So let's listen to some music from this next game, and let's talk about it.
So the next game on your list, Patrick, and the penultimate game we're going to talk about today is a game that was released by Halo creators, Bungie, and published by Activision. It released on the PlayStation 3, PlayStation 4, Xbox 360, and Xbox One back in 2014. It's the action role-playing first-person shooter that has had a rocky start and has sort of gone up and down for a while. And with the most recent expansion, I think the reviews are coming out now, and I think a lot of people are like, even this expansion is a bit paint-by-the-numbers and not as good as it could be. Um, I'm very interested in stories about this game because when I played the alpha, I didn't really like it, and I never actually bought the game, and I haven't played it. Um, but as I said, there are people out there who adore this game and just can't explain why. So the next game that you've chosen to take with you is a game that is perfect for a deserted island as well. It's Destiny. Yeah. Now, Destiny. Patrick, <laughs> we've we've spoken a lot about story today and stories sure of video games and how they mean a lot to us and how a game even even if its gameplay is maybe a little subpar to others uh, and it's not the best game in the world, the story can really mean so much to us that it doesn't matter. Um, but Destiny is sort of the flip side of that. This, game, this is a game all about gameplay and is all about repetitive playing with friends and loot and mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. But is there a story that is important in this game? And is, is that what you're going to talk about? Or is this purely a gameplay choice? Um, no, it's not. Um, so obviously Destiny's story has, especially, especially with that, for the first vanilla release was weird. <laughs> like it was, it's, I mean, like that's probably, that's probably a very generous way of putting it. Um, it, it wasn't, it wasn't very resonant, right? Like it was short. The stories it told wasn't, weren't like great. Um, and then it just kind of was like at the last mission was like, Oh, and here's the biggest black thing in the whole world. And like, you're going to shoot it and kill it. And okay, that's the end. Like you're the best by, um, <laughs> and like, that's kind of, that's kind of like what it was. Um, I do think that there is a worthwhile story in the taken King. And again, it comes down to the characters of that story. Um, the taken King was a real important moment for destiny. Cause I think it was the first time that, cause when destiny was announced and, pre-release everyone had an idea of what destiny was and nobody's idea of what destiny was is what destiny actually is um and taken king was one of those times where everybody could just everyone could kind of see what like what what this game was or where it could go or you know everyone always talks about potential with destiny They're always like oh this there's potential for it to be this or like this but it's like i also think that Destiny's perfect as what it is. Um, so yeah, going back to the Taken King, like they did something very clever in that story, um, which I don't think is talked about enough. And that's um, Cade Six and uh, Essos, Eris, Eris um, were paired together basically, and she was all like, "The Doomsday's coming." We're all like that doom and gloom NPC that you get in, in video games. And then also you get Cade Six, who was Nathan Fillion being like, you know, Nathan Fillion. Um, and that was, there was a very, there was a very interesting dynamic between those two. And like, again, the story, it's not like amazing and it's not going to blow anything away, but there was strong character work in there. Um, but at the same time, it's not the gameplay that keeps me coming back. It's more that world. Like, I want to exist in it. And like, that's probably why I chose it to 
um, to that would be my desert island. Like, there's something about the world that I find incredibly happy. Um, and I, I kind of came to this realization a week or two ago. Um, it's just like, there's an inherent hopefulness to Destiny. And I think it permeates the entire, like, like everything in that game. Like, from the mechanics to the story to the to the music, like, there's an inherent hopefulness to that game that is incredibly powerful for me. Or, like, very, like, it, it always feels like it's inviting me in to come back and play in its world. Um, and obviously there's the hope of, like, oh, what will Destiny become? And all that. And, like, there, like that is kind of the word that I keep coming back to when I think about that game. It's just, like, it's just hope. Like, and especially, like, if we're talking about, like, the lore and the environments and the world and that, like... That's the stuff that I want to exist in. And, like, obviously that's not story, but that's... It's part of what makes that universe what it is. Do you know what I mean? So, and that that's devoid from gameplay. Um, and then you get to the gameplay, and then the gameplay's rad. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, the... It really is... I really do believe it is the best-feeling shooter that's ever been made. Um, I think. Wow. That's, that's quite a statement. Yeah. Well, I mean like nowadays anyways, like I think it never gets old shooting something in the head in destiny, like popping off an alien's head is always, (laughs) is always, always satisfying. I've been playing that game for three years now. Like pretty, pretty like I'm not the biggest destiny player. Like I only have like two or 300 hours into it. I suppose some people have thousands, but like there is, something about it that I think comes... There is something about that gameplay loop that gets people coming back, and it's not just because they're addicted for more, or they're addicted to get that new gun, because people finish their collections, and they keep coming back to Destiny anyways. Like, it's a very bizarre game, because that's not true of anything else. Like, you... Most... Like, the idea of repeating content over and over again is kind of like that's any other game that doesn't work. Um, Whereas in Destiny, it's just like there's something comforting about it, and then there's also something about just popping off an alien's head, Liam. That feels so good. <laughs> it doesn't matter if I've done it for the millionth time. Like, just seeing a drake's head and then a plume of smoke come out of its head as well is just feels great. And, like, the diversity of how good those gun feels and, like, how they exist and, you know, your exotic weapons all feel, like, amazing to use and stuff. So, yeah. like, all that gameplay stuff is lovely. Um, and, obviously, you get into the raids and stuff, which I think are really like cleverly cleverly designed pieces of first person shooting like those things can be puzzles more than they can be first person shooter action rooms right like you know trying to figure out how to progress in a raid is um is like that's nine tenths of the battle of that whole thing like anybody can just shoot loads of things but like you have to figure out why is this light turning up over here in a corner like maybe i should shoot that oh, wait, now that I shot that, like, oh, there's another light. And then, like, oh, there's three lights, and they're all making different musical noises. And, like, how how am I, like, how am I supposed to progress with this? Or, you know, I'm just, I'm in a big dark place, and then when I stand next to a light, I'll stand next to it for a while, and then it finally explodes. And then you're like, oh, well, well maybe I should run away from that light when it, before it explodes. Oh, there's, like, more, and then you got to keep finding it. Like, there's really clever pieces of level design in that, especially in the raids and stuff, um, that make that make it worth coming back to over and over again. And 
I think when you mix that stuff in that is genuinely great with that kind of hopefulness that I feel from the world or the sense of like happiness that comes with it in a way, um, it feels very comfortable in a way that few games do for me. Like it's when I'm playing Destiny, it feels like I'm falling into a very comfy bed. You know, like, like that world is all about like, oh, we're the last guardians and all these aliens are going to come and kill us all. And like humanity's dying. But like at the same time, like the music, the visuals and all that, like the art direction, like it all just comes together to actually like say like, yeah, that is all happening. But, you know, we can overcome. And like, that's a very. That's like, even though the story's not there, like narratively, that's like a strong emotion to pull from a game, if you know what I mean. Well. There are a lot of games out there now, and especially competitive games. Um, I wouldn't call Destiny too competitive, but obviously it's a cooperative multiplayer. Sure, and what you I got mean your by PvP that, in there. Yeah, exactly. But I, I, when I sort of what I'm talking about here is there has been this rise in games that are, you know, mobas and stuff like that. We have lots of online shooters and stuff, and. These are the most popular games out there, like, hands down. And I think there's that sort of comfort to them. You know what you're expecting. Uh, It's not going to change. It's Although it's the same, the outcome is different every time, especially if you're playing against other people. And in Destiny, although you are doing the same raids and stuff, you play with different people, you don't know what loot you're going to get, and although you know you're going to go through this and it's going to take you like half an hour, the excitement of seeing what's going to come at the end, what am I going to get, is definitely comforting in a sort of way. Um, It's like, ah, I'm always going to see something new, but I'm not treading water too much. I mean, I think it'd be easy to say like, oh, it's just like fast food, right? Like, but... Like I say, I do think that the, like, emotional pull that it has, maybe just for me, but, like, the emotional pull it has, um, and, like, it does feel, like, artistically powerful to me. It doesn't just feel like I'm doing the same thing over and over again just, like, cause. Like, it's because I want to be there, if that makes sense. Like, if I didn't, if that world wasn't compelling, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be doing this. Like, I don't do this with many other competitive online games. Like, I don't. There's one or two, and we're probably going to be talking about another one in a second. But, like, besides besides that, there's, like, there's no online games that really keep me coming back for years on end. And Destiny has. And I think that a lot of that does have to do with the art industry in it, that I find anyways. Um, I think it's easy to kind of say, oh, the gameplay is just repetitive over and over, and I understand, like, why that's comfortable. But I do think that there is genuinely more to it than that, um, that I think can get overlooked by people who have only just like messed around with messed around with like the campaign and didn't really get into the end game stuff like I don't know that it that game is bizarre and weird and like it's there's nothing like destiny being <laughs> like that's probably because of how like weird and messy the development was of it and like how they were clearly stumbling through the dark trying to figure out what this thing was <laughs> while they were still making it um, but at the same time, I wouldn't have it any other way. Like, there's something unique about Destiny that I really, I really dig. That was that was end of thought. <laughs> <laughs> well, Destiny is still something I just haven't 
ever picked up on it. I don't think I ever will. I think it's just something that will forever remain, remain a mystery to me, and I'll just hear stories on podcasts or videos of people who've had raids <laughs> together and stuff like that. And there does seem to be something about it that keeps bringing people back. And um, you've you've shed some light on more, uh, and I understand a little more as to why um, people do that. But we're going to move on to the last game now. And it's a game also that's appeared on final games in succeeding weeks. I think this is its third week in a row now, which is quite incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's probably the biggest hit of the year, to be honest. There isn't much else that people are playing. So let's listen to some music once again from this next game. And let's talk about Patrick's final game. So I imagine from the music, you know exactly what game is next. And if you listen to the show often, you'll know we've spoken about it before. But Patrick's final game he has chosen is developed by Blizzard Entertainment and directed by Jeffrey Kaplan and the wonderful team at Blizzard, including Mr. Chris Metzen, who has left Blizzard. Um, one of the one of the outstanding figures at Blizzard over yep. the years. Um, it was released for PC, PlayStation 4 and Xbox One in May of this year in fact may 2016 it's the first person shooter smash hit that has like 10 million players around the world right now it's overwatch patrick what a perfect game for a deserted island yeah it's all good <laughs> end we podcast. can end there like, <laughs> <laughs> right, like honest, you know i i know you said uh like you know we were coming into the competitive multiplayer fps stuff um and but like I probably I can't probably kind of swerve there and be like, oh no, I actually like really like the story and the lore or whatever. But uh, Overwatch is is a rare thing for me, and that's a multiplayer competitive game that I keep coming back to. It's so good, Liam. It's so good, <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny because I had Max Temkin, uh, uh, co-creator of Cards Against Humanity, last week. And he chose Overwatch as well. And his reasoning was that it's pretty much the only game he's playing this year. He literally cannot play another game because he would rather be playing Overwatch. And I think uh-huh. that's pretty true for a lot of people who are playing yeah. Overwatch. I know people who have traded in Overwatch so they can play other things. <laughs> <laughs> well, the only reason I'm not playing Overwatch right now is because my PlayStation subscription ran out. And oh. getting renewing that thing in Japan is a nightmare. So I'm not playing yeah. it right now. But the time I had with it was incredible. And it is a fantastic game. And it just has that Blizzard touch. That very special Blizzard touch. That uh, even playing World of Warcraft Legion recently. Just mm-hmm. they are excellent at their craft. And Overwatch is that. 
it's just a good example of that. Like, it's character driven in a way that I don't think any other game is really. Like, you I mean, play like, it because of the characters. I think, I think, it, I think it meets up with like a couple MOBAs. Like, I think, it, I think it's like the Dota two. I think like those characters have the same thing because it's like they're so tied to what they do for a team. If you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but Overwatches certainly have more personality to them. Like. Um, they're they're just super fun. Like it's insane. Like I think a couple, like maybe a year or so ago, if people were like Blizzard, if I if you told me last year, Blizzard are make are in the best period of their development life cycle, like ever in 2016, I'd be like you're a liar because you know World of Warcraft's dying. World of Warcraft was like whatever. Like Hearthstone's cool. Like that's taken over. But, like, you know, StarCraft's kind of, they're doing their weird story, finishing all that up. Like, Diablo 3 is, like, in the expansion, but we're not really going to continue. Like, Blizzard always kind of felt like it was waning a little bit. And, like, this year we have, like, Legion, and we have Overwatch, and we have Hearthstone. Like, yeah. that seems to be picking up again. Like, Blizzard are in, like, a magic period right now. Like, they're, <laughs> they, they're doing some amazing stuff. Um, and Overwatch, I think, is absolutely, like, the... The, the cherry on, on like this incredible year because it's, it's amazing how accessible it's made the idea of character based, uh, you know, multiplayer. Whereas like, like I say, obviously Dota 2 in League of Legends and like that, that's all massive now. Like, but there's still like, it's, an it's not, it's there's, not even there's an eliteness. The- there's not in the. It, I don't think it's in the realm of video games. To be honest, I, I like, yeah, it's, like, like that. Thing, it's transcended like. beyond that. It's more. I don't know a sport in a way like but not to like, say there's, esports. There's there is an elite. There's like an there's like an elitism to it. Not to be like oh they won't accept new people, but like you have there you have to be a very specific kind of gamer to like really get in deep with that kind of stuff. In yeah. my experience, anyways. Um, whereas you Overwatch do, makes... you do, but I think it's like any other sport, and that's what I mean when it's transcended video games. Video games, by their nature, apart from a few, are meant to be appealing to many audiences and easy to get yeah. into from a tutorial level. Uh, whereas sports can sometimes be difficult to get into, um, and like MOBAs are like up there, <laughs> and yeah, yeah, they uh, they've sort of transcended beyond being a part of the video game industry. I think there are a whole other basket of definitely but like overwatch kind of brings those ideas into like into that space where that where it is accessible right like where you know you have a tank and you have a healer and you know you have your dps like these are terms like even a year ago like these are things that would turn most like common gamers off like they'd be like oh that sounds complicated like stats and nonsense like and you know, why can't I just, like, be a shooter who has minor adjustments and, like, different perks and stuff? But, like, Overwatch brought those ideas and made them so incredibly, like, accessible that, like, it's no surprise that it's become so massive as it is because it made that thing that, you know, those esports, like, obviously have hundreds of thousands of people, uh, hundreds, like, millions, way, many millions playing, um, and brought it into a world where, you know, I can just play it with one of my one of my brothers who doesn't play video games like all that much, right? Like, yeah, it's and that's that's incredibly powerful. And like, there's something to be said about how cleverly like designed it is. It's it hasn't gone old, like you know, in a way. And like, 
There's only a couple, a handful of maps, handful of modes, and that's it. There's no story mode. Like, any other game, like, that's a death sentence most of the time. Like, you know, we had a string of games where it was just, like, multiplayer only, and then the single player was kind of not there. Or a tutorial at best. Whereas Overwatch has overcome that. And I think that's entirely down to how well designed it is. Like, how well it interlocks. Um, and I, there's, I just can't get enough of it. It's so bright and so colorful. And the, mu- the soundtrack is incredible. Like, I, I don't see a time in the next few years where Overwatch isn't, like, part of it, if you know what I mean. Like, in the same way Destiny has been for me for the last three years, like, there's been times when I've dropped in and out. But, like, it's always kind of been there as a constant. And Overwatch feels like that. And that those things are kind of rare, especially with how many games try and do that. Like, you know, and, you know, some people will say, like, oh, yeah, that's my Call of Duty or that's my Battlefield. But those games just, like, I'll mess with them for a little bit for review. But they don't stick with me in that way. And weirdly, I think Overwatch has a lot of the things that I find interesting in Destiny, which is this, like, weird inherent happiness and hopefulness that kind of makes you feel warm and fuzzy while you are absolutely tearing apart people with guns and nonsense, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, it's just fun to play, isn't it? I think that's just the bottom line, to be honest. <laughs> it's like, well, good, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, mean, I mean, like, I do think there is something special about it, and I do think that it will outlast pretty much any game that's going to come out this year, like, in terms of just, like, people playing it. Um, oh, I think and... it's going to carry on for a while. It would, like, yeah. esports hasn't kicked off yet with overwatch there are there are some competitions but i think once that happens and once some money gets pushed behind it that game is already huge uh with players so i think with other mobas they got a lot bigger because of esports i think blizzard already has the audience so with esports on top of that like it's just gonna yeah well see i mean esports are weird like you can never guess what like is going to become big in it because i don't know first person shooters have always been a hard sell um, in esports and the fact that overwatch is making any waves is pretty big so like yeah and i think that does come down to how well it's designed and how um like provocative it is to watch and like how accessible and easy to follow what's going on and now that so many people have played it especially it's like they can understand the consequences of oh that guy chose a zenyatta over a lucian right even though they all choose lucian competitive but like, <laughs> you can you can under you can understand like because these characters are so defined and so cleverly built, like, what that means for a team when they choose it. In a way, like, in a MOBA when there's a hundred characters, and you're like, oh yeah, I don't know why they picked, like, you know, Earthshaker over Bloodseeker. Like, like that doesn't, for so many people, that doesn't really register. Whereas I think in Overwatch, it's like, a decent amount of characters, obviously that will build and grow, but like, there's so much, it, you, you, it's just like, inherently accessible in that, way that esports are trying to be but i don't know man it's it's so good (laughs) (laughs) and it's 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 probably just gonna last for a long time so and i can't imagine the fun dwindling anytime soon because it isn't like other first person shooters it has this other element to it this dynamic with every character and the way they move and the way and then and they're like tool sets and just everything and the more people they release and the more maps they release just it's just going to keep on going, and I can't imagine that fun dwindling anytime soon. So, nope, and I'm well excited about that. <laughs> and it's a perfect, perfect way to finish this, uh, a show all about taking games to a deserted island where you're going to have to play them for the rest of your life. This is a game that's going to have 
some very long legs, and I think it's perfect for replayability on a deserted island as well. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, I think it's about time we send you off now, Mr. Patrick Dane. Oh. We're going to ship you off to the tower where you're going right, to spend the rest of your days. You're going to be like the Destiny vision of like Rapunzel or something, um, just trapped. Well, I'll be like the I'll be the Destiny version of Lord Saladin, who is already in Destiny. Okay, well, <laughs> I don't know who that is because I've not played Destiny. He's the, he's the guy in Rise of Iron. He looks after the temple where no one is. Then you are now that guy. You are like I'm his, that guy. You're you're his successor. I'm the tower version of him. <laughs> you're his successor. <laughs> well, right. Mr. Patrick Dane, I want to thank you so much for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure to, talking to you today. Um, but before I let you go. There is one last question I have to ask you, and it's the same question I ask all of my guests before I banish them to eternal gaming in a tower somewhere. It's not if you can only choose one console to take with you to the desert place, barring PC. PC is not allowed. (laughs) Uh, If you can only take one console with you to the desert place, what would you take and why? Be the virtual boy? Because, you know, there's so much hope in the... (laughs) No, I'll take my Xbox 360. 360 yeah perfect it's like like it's it's there's a lot of good games on the 360 it's a great console you know <laughs> well, it's, 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 it's easy it has, as that it has a huge back catalog full of great games as well and it has online play so yeah it's, it's completely accessible like it's a great it's, i think it's probably my favorite console of all time so that's i'm gonna take it liam you can't make you can't make me not I, I'm not. I'm giving you the choice of being able to do so. <laughs> Let me take it, Liam. <laughs> you can, Patrick. So along with those eight games, um, you're going to be taking the Xbox 360. So now is the time I have to ship you off. And you have to leave me and I will wave farewell to you. I'm, as, I'm waving. As you tell the viewers, uh, the viewers, the listeners, sorry, the listeners, where they can find you on the internet and what they should be checking out of yours. Um, you can check me out at Patrick Dane on Twitter, um, and you can also check me out on BleedingCool.com, where I'm running a whole bunch of the film and game side, um, and you can also go on YouTube, and there's a few things on there, like my previously talked about Batman v Superman video, which you should go watch, it's really good. Um, and, yeah, that, that's kind of me, I'm, I'm a one-place man. <laughs> you are indeed and obviously you can check it about games and film with patrick so if you're like oh i wonder what patrick thought about destiny's new expansion great oh but what did he think of the new marvel film you can also do that too there aren't many games journalists who do that so he's like a walking circus of reviews <laughs> i am a walking circus of reviews indeed <laughs> patrick thank you so much for coming on today it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you i hope you enjoyed uh spitballing about all these wonderful games with me today. My throat hurts, but I'm good. It's hard to talk. It's hard to talk for over two hours. It definitely is. Trust me. Every week I go home and I go out of the room that is always hot. It's always freaking hot in Japan, and I can't use I can't use goddamn air conditioning because it makes too much noise. But I always leave here and I go hide away in a cave and play DS and drink water to recover um, because my voice is ruined. But thank you once again for listening to this episode and I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, You can, as always, as I mentioned at the start of the show, check this show out on SoundCloud. You can follow as well there, although following on SoundCloud, I don't know too many people who do that. But you can also go to iTunes and subscribe. It's also on Acast. It's also on Stitcher and most podcasting places. 
you can also uh, review and rate it, um, which really does help out. Uh, just please do that. It'd be really nice. Um, it, it always helps out. <laughs> if you want to email the show, you can email finalgamespodcast at gmail.com. I've received quite a few emails this week about people requesting guests uh, and suggestions for who should come on the show. So do you know what? If you do have someone you think should come on the show or you'd like to hear on the show, uh, please do email and tell me who they are what they do and why they should be on the show and then maybe we can arrange it and in the future you'll hear them on the show uh you can also find us on twitter of course at final games show and also at liam bme is me as well Uh, so thank you once again for listening to the 35th episode of final games and i hope to see you again next week goodbye